everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. from 
uh, somebody that I respect very much and I appreciate that he came into my life. Uh, and if I never would have met Keith, I still would have a great appreciation for him. And as I mentioned many times, it was Keith and and Gordon that uh, got me to even open up the Bible, even look at it. So uh, with that, hello, my friend. It's good talking to you again. It's been a while. Yeah. I, um... How was the audio there? Did it sound all right? Oh, yeah, it was fine. I um, just want to explain what what was going on here. Um, that's a song by Redbone about a legendary visionary, I suppose you could call him. Some people thought he was the Messiah. He was um, a full-blooded Paiute who um, kind of attached himself out in, in a barren part of Nevada. With uh, he was a Paiute, I think I said that. Okay, um, and uh, he, he attached himself more or less to a family for for um, which he worked, and uh, and took the name uh, Jack Wilson. Wovoka was his uh, native Indian name, and it's it's strange how this all happened, but where we're going today, and and as we started a couple of months ago talking about the genocide of a people and how a Christian country could possibly tolerate that, uh, make excuses for it. Uh, it seems to be a very great paradox and hypocrisy. Uh, on the other end of this, uh, in the sense of that the beginning was the first changes between uh, Anglo-Europeans, obviously and the native peoples. Here we're at the end of the road pretty much as we look at the late 19th century, Sitting Bull is probably the most prominent Indian figure in the country. And the last, I guess you could say, of the tribes that did not want to come in and go to the reservation. And this would take, this, we're talking now about the, uh, the Sioux, especially, uh, that found themselves kind of like in, in a very barren section of South Dakota, like you can't find anything that isn't South barren, but, <laughs> yeah, and, and it was just these final days, and how, and I mean, and here's the linchpin, it was that word got out, uh, even in that time, that Wovoka was a messiah, and had a vision of the liberation of the native peoples. And what Wivoka shared was really kind of a misinterpretation that got further misinterpreted by a number of the tribes, uh, at the very least giving them great disappointment when they realized that this was not going to happen. We'll talk about what that is. And at the very worst, it directly led to the bloodshed uh, and wounded knee back in, oh, let's see, where was that? December 29th, 1890. Ironic that another, what, eight years later, there still would be trouble in that Pine Ridge Wounded Knee area. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of factors came into, uh, and I would say, disparate, very contrary uh, elements converged there and, and led to a, an incredibly sad situation. The likes, I think, of which, uh, though not seen again, directly led to other hostilities that took place right through the 70s.
and that would be the 1970s. That's a long way of explaining things, but I just asked you if we could sew this thing up about Native peoples in the United States especially. Sure. And what seemed to be, you know, the absolute death knell for them, uh, what took place there in the late uh, 19th, 19th century. Okay. <clears throat> uh, would you like me to read the Messiah letter? Uh, what do you have? His letter. I believe I have his letter. At least it, uh, uh, the Messiah, the Messiah letter. All right, go ahead. Okay, I hope this is where we're going. Okay, when you get home, you must make a dance to continue five days. Dance four successive nights. And last night, keep us the dance until the morning of the fifth day. When all must bathe in the water, in the river and then disperse to their homes, you must all do in the same way. I, Jack Wilson, love you all. My heart is full of gladness for the gifts you have brought me. When you get home, I shall give you a good day, good cloud and rain, which will make you feel good. I give you a good spirit and give you all good paint. I want you to come again in three months some from each tribe there in Indian Territory. There will be a good deal of snow this year and some rain. If in the fall there will be such a rain as I have never given you before. Grandfather, a universal title of reverence among Indians and here meaning the Messiah says you when you your friends die you must not cry you must not hurt anybody or do harm to anyone you must not fight do right always <clears throat> it will give you satisfaction in life this young man has a good father and mother possibly this, I guess in captions here or in parentheses, possibly this refers to Casper Edson, uh, the young Ephraim, who wrote down this message of Wovoka for the delegation. Do not tell the white people about this. Jesus is now upon the earth. He appears like a cloud. The dead are still alive again. I do not know when they will be here. <clears throat> Maybe this fall or in the spring. When the time comes, there, there will be no more sickness. Everyone will be young again. <clears throat> Do not refuse to work for the whites. Do not make any trouble with them until you leave them when the earth shakes at the coming of the new world. <laughs> Do not be afraid. It will not hurt you. I want you to dance every six weeks. 
make a feast at the dance and have food that everybody may eat. Then bathe in the water. That is all. You will receive good words again among me sometime. Do not tell lies. And this is for James Mooney, the ghost dance religion and Sioux outbreak, 1890, 40th annual report of the Bureau of American Ethnology, Part 2, 1896. So anyways, uh, sounds like the man was trying to encourage people to do what was right and to be peaceful about it and just call upon their God. And uh, oh, it's interesting. I mean, it Very desperate. Oh, someone's desperate, but maybe it was. Was it desperate? I don't know. I mean, it's, maybe it's. I have a bias because of knowing how desperate. You know, in retrospect, how desperate their situation was. So it sounds more desperate than maybe it would actually be at the time. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about it? It's interesting because Wavoka never left Mason Valley in which he lived. So he had no idea of what was or was not happening several hundred to a thousand miles away. You know, so it's kind of, I'm not saying that he was this sort, but it's nice to be in your, your high tower and dispensing optimism when you don't, when you don't have to see um, what the lack of fruits of that is, you know, for the people that you shared that with. So, uh, you know, he's, kind of out on whether he was straight up or not. I mean, I don't know how you fake a uh, certain kind of um, near-epileptic fits, and supposedly in that state uh, you come out with this. I mean, I don't know. I know that there were a number of, of um, leaders of the Native peoples who were like, this guy's bogus. One of them is an individual by the name of uh, Apiaton, who we might talk about later. And um, and what's interesting is, and as you read, and thank you for that, uh-huh. um, he had seen all, I think, all the Native peoples that have ever had ever fallen. Uh, and when Apiatan heard this, he's like, wow, you know, because he had a child that was, I believe, died early, and he's like, I want to see him. And Apiatan went out and said, hey, listen, I'd like to see some of my dead relatives, and then I'm coarsely paraphrasing this, and <laughs> Wilboka tried to explain, I can't do that. So right away, Apiatan was like, mm, I don't know about this. The other thing was that um, apparently uh, Wilboka slash Jack Wilson didn't speak anything but Paiute. So there had to be somebody around, I'm assuming, uh, in a lot of these discussions to translate, and I'm filling that a little bit in. I know that, that in this one, uh, in Booney's book that you just referred to, uh-huh. um, that somebody had to intercede, obviously, because when there was an Anglo that went out to speak to Wovoka, there had to be interpretation. So, uh, The question, even the Messiah, uh, it's, it's a very, uh, well, let's face it, uh, Christian, European kind of. Oh, yeah. It's like, I, would, he, would the man even have used that term? <laughs> I'm not sure he did. I mean, you know, you have all kinds of views upon this. 
I think he was very um, trenchant about the fact that he said, I'm not the Messiah, but this is the message that God gave me. And when that got back, you know, did you ever play the game telephone in the class? Sure, sure, yeah. You realize how, how botched up the easiest message can get, you know, going five rows across a classroom, let alone, you know, going through different languages over the expanse of um, hundreds of miles with different cultures. And really what I, I guess people should try to uh, get a grip on because it's such a fascinating time in a sense. But, you know, Michael, it's like in the, in the 1890s, in that latter part of the 19th century, we go back in time by going east to west, with the exception of the western coast because of San Francisco especially, and some more cosmopolitan centers on that, on that western coast. But in between, uh, in the east, one could, you know, journey west and go back in time. I mean, you could leave, it's like New York. In fact, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, uh, for what I mean, it was a Hollywood western, you know, not that authentic. Uh, but what I think George Roy Hill, the director, wanted to get across is this was a crazy time when, when you were in the east, you were using trolleys and there were gas lights and all kinds of modern conveniences. And the further you went west, the more and more you went back into a time before that. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that also worked against the Native peoples, and that is whatever kind of evenness they had as far as being uh, a military force, technology, without a doubt, was going to doom them. And much of that was uh, created and tested in the Civil War and then opened up on the uh, Native peoples when they got into the last struggles with the U.S. military. So this is the time, like I'm saying, that you could go back. I mean, as I had said to you before, the heads of some of these uh, nations boarded a train in full, you know, Indian regalia to go talk to Wavoka. I mean, they're on a train. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's you, like you know, that. you know who does a, a great depiction of that, and as a young, you know, twenty a cut twenty years ago when it was yeah, it was twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a movie called that was when that came out called Dead Man or Dead Man Walking with um, oh gosh what's that Sean Penn was in that that's not right that's not the one it's no, the it's other one it's Dead Man is it Dead Man is that what it is um yes Dead Man Dead Man that's this is with uh, what's his face. Uh, Johnny Depp, and uh, the train trip from, I believe it was from like uh, Chicago or Cleveland, or I can't remember, and he went out west, I guess to be uh, an accountant or something like that, and so as he's traveling from east to west, it just as it was you're saying, it portrays it, and as he's going further west, and uh, he's like he's in the planes, right planes, one of the scenes that's very memorable is that uh, the... Uh, the you know the mountain men and the uh, uh, those independent souls are out there or they were driving by a herd of bison and they all popped up in the windows of the train and they all popped out the guns and just start shooting just for the heck of it just <laughs> just, boy, just shooting one bison after another you know what I mean <laughs> by the way forgive me this piece of nostalgia but this all kind of ties in uh, a good friend of mine and I 
had planned to take a trip cross country and we did it in September of 1975. And we decided that there wasn't much to see east of the Mississippi, so we drove hard. And our first stop was in Chamberlain, South Dakota, in the southeast section of the state. And I may refer back to this later on because I wound up going to Wounded Knee and Pine Ridge a couple of months after they had another skirmish with the FBI. This is after the one they had in 1973. And you could feel the tension in the air. And, of course, the two of us, the idiots that we are from New Jersey, in the psychedelically painted van, you know, not using our heads. But what happened was uh, in South Dakota, it was Wind Cave National Park. We woke up on a beautiful morning. Uh, we had camped the night, and we were driving on this mountain road, literally, you know, like you see in TV, like just wrapping itself around a mountain with nothing on the right. You know, there's no guardrail. I'm saying on the right because we were going west. Uh, there was no guardrail, and, and it's a beautiful, beautiful day. And we hear this rumbling, and I'm like, man, a lot. That's thunder. Where, in that, where is that coming from? And then we realized in a couple of seconds, you know, and I said to my buddy, I said, George, stop, take a look at this. And we looked down in this valley between the mountains, and for whatever reason, there was a herd of buffalo that came, uh, came stampeding through. And I want to tell you, the majesty of those animals and in, in the power of that movement, it was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, so, um, they, they are, they're amazing creatures, uh. You know, I live in a part of the world where we, obviously, we don't have wild herds of uh, what well, used to be uh, timberland or timber bison. Um, it used to be a very amazing place where I live, but of course, like most places, it's all been decimated. So, <laughs> but of all places, Marco's Pizza—I believe it's Marco's or Domino's—I think it's Marco's up there in Ann Arbor. Uh, their headquarters on the grounds, of their their headquarters there, they have a herd of bison. So. They go up there and check them out, and, and uh, yeah, they are amazing. Um, I know that's not the same thing as what you're describing. I can only imagine that, just as you see in the movies, that that it is just like you're saying, like rolling thunder. You know what I mean? Coming towards you, just a yeah, I mean, huge freight train, right? You know. I, I mean, it sounded exactly like thunder, and of course, we were like looking. I mean, because it wasn't a cloud in the sky. And then eventually you kind of feel like that vibration, or you or at least, if not actually ge geologically, you feel the, the energy. And I took a look down. I said, you got to look at this, George, because, I mean, this is amazing. We just looked at it. We couldn't believe it. I mean, we definitely felt truly, I mean, seriously, using the word blessed by being able to see that because, you know, how many herds are like that, you know, were th that were there at that day. Um, and, and here we saw them on the move. And uh, I thought we were pretty fortunate to be able to capture that, you know, forever. Oh yeah, I would say. <laughs> yeah, when was when was that again? Uh, that was seventy-five. Oh and wow! I'm, I'm thinking because Wind Cave is probably just inside the Montana border in southeast Montana. I'm I'm, I'm guessing that. So because uh, we had gone from uh, Chamberlain uh, through southern, you know, across southern um, South Dakota on I-94. And then we got off and dipped south, uh, and it may not have been a bright idea, but we did go to Pine Ridge. We did go to Wounded Knee. And then we continued, to, and we kind of swung back up northwest, and that's when we went into Montana. And it was probably Wind Cave National Park, now that I think of it. 
that we saw that. I mean, it's it's splitting hairs, but I just for anybody who says, "Wow, you know, Wind Cave National Park is not South Dakota." Well, you're right. Oh, we went to yeah, we went to Deadwood too, of course. So we had to see where where uh, Wild Bill bought it. So. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I want to go back to this letter too because there's something. You know, you can't help but uh, as you do what I'm doing and what you've done, that you kind of develop uh, well some critical thinking and. Uh, you can really spot things, but <laughs> you know what I mean. That don't that don't fit, and just, you know, don't tell. Do not tell the white people about this. Jesus is upon the earth. <laughs> you know, uh, makes you wonder. Um, why would he say that? Unless, like, going back to what you were talking about before the show, that his he had it was influenced by. Um, well, maybe Mormons or who knows, Jesuit priests, Franciscan priests. Uh, I don't know. Somebody, somebody kind of influenced him, gave, gave him the idea, or somebody because he wasn't the actual one writing it, just put, in, put their own words in there. It could have been some way of kind of because uh, you got to think about the times, and you know how propaganda it works, and it's always been this way, and. Uh, could have been a way to kind of foment some anger in white people who are Christian, you know, have a Christian identity type of thing. And oh, he's saying he's Jesus. It's more of a more of a justification to be willing to uh, kill the innocent. Well, they, they know that Wovoka had contact with the Mormon Church. Uh, mm-hmm. To what extent, I don't think anybody knows for sure. But I, you know, in that, and I'm not that versed. Are you a former? Oh yeah. Well, then let me ask you and share this with the people. Now, knowing what you know about Mormon doctrine or in Scripture, can you see where this fits in and Wovoka's thinking? If in fact he was impacted by Mormon teachings about this, uh, what the Native Americans being the, the lost thirteenth tribe or something. Yeah, well, you know, the Book of Mormon and, and this whole idea of uh, that, uh, that they will come back, that God is going to call them back. You know what I mean? That they're going to be part of the chosen one. That yeah, they're part of this. The um, one of the third. Yeah, I think it's one of the tribes of Israel. Yeah, that's what this says. Yeah, that's what they say. But you know, back then too, that there was a movement going on that was it wasn't a unique Mormon thing. When you look back at the. Uh, the burn district and and uh, and what's going on in New York that they're especially in the early nineteen like what, eighteen in the eighteen from like eighteen hundred to eighteen thirty or so there was a big movement going on in the states just about this you know what I mean is promoting this whole thing about that the Native Americans were one of the lost tribes of Israel so they. Uh, uh, well, what, wasn't it in New York that Joe Smith found these supposed plates that had indicated such? Yeah, exactly. He just he just tapped it on. He just tapped onto that like your typical con artist starting a new cult to make money. Right. <laughs> but the best way to control people, and make money, if you're not in the government, is start your own religion. <laughs> if you're if you're clever enough. <laughs> well, it reminds me of of uh, when he used to lampoon in New York media especially Don Imus, uh, 
Reverend Ike. It was the old story about, you know, you, you got to believe in somebody, so you might as well believe in me. Yeah, yeah. It was really funny because uh, I just had a, I don't know if Goro said anything to you about it. Or uh, I'm having guests on. One guy's name is Jaron, and he has a show, a YouTube channel, uh, and he's called Jaronism. And he's starting a movement basically all about himself. He's the answer. Jaron, Jaronist, Jaronism. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's like you say starting a, a show and it's called uh, Keithism. I'm the answer. So. <laughs> well, I tell you what, a long story short, the, only, the, the, the one fake religion I think is that is the most false and yet at the same time <laughs> the most true is, is, is what? The Church of the Subgenius with, with Reverend Bob. <laughs> Have you ever encountered that, by the way? Uh, tell me more. I don't know if I am no, not. Is this like is this sick? No, it's it's a complete mockery of everything. They mock themselves. I mean, it's beautiful because you know they're funny, but it's they're making fun of this kind of thing. You know, this um, if you will, idolatry or whatever. Or you know, well, it happens so pervasively. That's what the thing is. Like every generation has their their gurus and their you know, if you're talented enough and you're a good enough con artist, um, and if it pretty much a, if you're corrupt enough, it's it's not too difficult to do that. That's probably the reason why there are so many different churches out there. Do you think uh, <laughs> it's not that difficult? You know. When a, a group of people share the same delusion, they call it a cult. When two people sh- share the same delusion, they call it love. And when one person <laughs> has a delusion alone, they call him crazy. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, the, and that's the the thing, though. Uh, uh, you know, it's inevitable. You can deal with the Word of God and Scripture, and if you look at the state of man and how fallen we are, it's, it's, it's manifestation of that, isn't it? That we are delusional and uh, we, be, uh, we, are, we believe a lot of delusions and a lot of lies. Those who understand the human condition can exploit that. Humans' characters, you know, our basic uh, flaws and all that, it, it's easy to exploit that. And because we're so profoundly disconnected from uh, our reality, it, it just becomes even easier to do that. So we go back to a guy like um, Wovoka. is how you pronounce it? Wovoka. How do you pronounce that again? I'm sorry. <laughs> Wovoka. Yeah, thank you. And you look at a guy like that, and you see this guy who still, although he is being influenced by uh, Christendom, well, a false form of Christendom, and uh, and and the Europeans and all their delusions and their madness. And at the same time, he's still connected to what God has created for him, you know, the world, the world that we live on, and. Uh, can you imagine being in his circumstances? The, not only how bizarre it must have been, but how soul-wrenching and so 
um, overwhelming it must have been to be in that situation. Because just think about it, this changes in our own lives as we in our own little our time on this earth and the changes that you've had in your own life, Keith, and how they kind of uh, uh, you know derail you and uh, yeah, disturb you and and all sorts of things. You know what I mean? All the effects that happen change, and the man being in his circumstances. Uh, whether he was a con or not, I don't know. But the thing is, just being in a situation, that'd be really quite severe, bizarre. I just can't imagine. There's a man who's connected to the world. He's connected to the, his you know, nature and his people. And next thing you know, there's white people all around and taking everything. <laughs> Just imagine. Um, I don't know. Let me, um, if you allow me, let me give you a little bit on, on Wovoka. Okay. <clears throat> but here's part of one of his visions. Uh, he said, when the sun died, I went up to heaven and saw God and all the people who had died a long time ago, hence uh, appear times wanting to see his lost uh, family. Uh, God told me to come back and tell my people they must be good and love one another and not fight or steal or lie. He gave me this dance to give to my people. This is Wavoka. Right. Now, um, again, he attached himself to a white family by the name of Wilson. Says, uh, from his association with this family, he gained some knowledge of English together with a confused idea of the white man's theology. There you go. There you go. I was just <laughs> He said, on growing up, he married and still continued to work for Mr. Wilson, earning a reputation for industry and reliability, but attracting no special notice until nearly 30 years of age when he announced the revelation that has made him famous among the tribes of the West. Uh, let's see. And a little bit. Now, here's where it gets a, a, a bit poisoned. Um, in proportion, as Wovoka and his doctrines have become subjects of widespread curiosity, so have they become subjects of ignorant misrepresentation and deliberate falsification. Different writers have made stories, uh, have made him, excuse me, a, a Paiute or a half-blood or a Mormon white man. Normally huh. stories have been told of the origin and character of his mission and the day predicted for its final accomplishment. Mischievous and persistent of these stories has been that which represents him as preaching a bloody campaign against the whites whereas his doctrine is one of peace, and he himself is a mild-tempered member of a weak and unwarlike tribe. Uh, his own good name has been filched from, um, from him, and he has been made to appear under a dozen different cognomens, including that of his bitterest enemy, Johnson Sides. I don't know what that's about. I won't go any further into that. But, but just finishing up, he has been denounced as an imposter, ridiculed as a lunatic, and laughed at as a pretended Christ, while by the Indians, he is revered as a direct messenger from the, in capital letters, other world. And among many of the remote tribes, he is believed to be omniscient, to speak all languages, and to be invisible to a white man. <laughs> okay. So basically, he's Superman. He is God. He was God. He's Jesus, right? <laughs> and, you know, again, with the other charlatanism, it's like, I'll be whatever you want me to be. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that makes me think about there are two things. There's the aspect of uh, deliberate, you know, this deliberate 
propaganda to confuse the issue. But the other thing is, once back, to, once again, back to the human condition and how uh, how delusional we all are and how confused we all are and how we all see things so differently um, and are motivated by our own biases and. Um, um, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, why so many different uh, interpretations of this man was? Well, to our shame, those who who say they believe on scripture, uh, present day, and uh, you can see a scripture that speaks to you, dead bang, directly, and without any kind of possibility, I think, of misinterpretation, and you'll find somebody else or some other sect that will misinterpret it. So, you know, the interpretations and the desire uh, for understanding, I think, differ with with the intentions, or I don't even want to say intelligence, because what we're talking about with regard to the illuminated Word of God, I mean, it's not a, it's got nothing to do with intelligence. It's got to do, obviously, with the Holy Spirit. Right. And so, but you'll see it used in a number of ways. And I had several battles with Christian organizations who were getting so deeply involved in politics and such. And I'm saying, can you show me where this, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that it happened on, on this scale is of actually, what else would you expect? I mean, honestly. I mean, if it happens amongst us who supposedly know and are honest and are in obedience to the Lord, and it still gets all, you know, screwed up. So, I think it's because of. Uh, I had a show yesterday with a gentleman named Larry Phillips, and it was, uh, the thing that uh, hit me hard yesterday was, you know, when it comes to scriptures, is how we don't want to open up the book and actually just read it. We want somebody else to tell us, and I think it's uh, it's part of conditioning, and it's. Part of our, yeah, I think a lot of it's conditioning. Um, we're talking about college, and you, you know, you have two, you know, you're working on two degrees. So you know a lot about the, the life and and academia, and uh, to, to plug through, get all through all the information. Um, Larry's talking about how he's taught that uh, you know to get through a book fast, you read the first sentence and the last sentence of the paragraph. Don't read all the meat. Just get through the, the basic idea, so you get 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 that uh, your 4.0. You know what I mean? <laughs> get, get your craze and get out of there. And um, I think that's for program that way. We're just um, we have too too fast of a pace, and we just don't uh, step back long enough to meditate and contemplate on what we're reading. You know what I mean? Because it's it's right there. You know, you can, it's not that difficult, but it, yeah, I think he, the spirit of God does is necessary for that, um, and so, but so we, because people are conditioned to follow man instead of God, they will just do that. We all do that, and uh, it's it's such a, it, you know, I've come to believe in the Word of God. I believe who the, the God of the Bible is is the true living God. That's where my hope is. You started me down that path, not deliberately, but because I was listening to you and I heard I heard you mentioning him, and I was like, maybe it's time for me to do it. But uh, 
So God used you to get to me. And so thanks, Keith, once again. <laughs> but oh, uh, boy. I know it's quite a burden, isn't it? But the uh, other thing is Your part, that. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, I, but, but you know, remember too, just to throw this in there, and that is the same situation that we find uh, with understanding the Word of God and believing on Jesus Christ is the same situation that people are faced with when they come to the very nasty truth about their whole existence, and I'm referring to the matrix that we're in, and any co- any country's people are in. You know, you, you get propagandized, and you've com- you're, f- you're comfortable with it. That's all you know. But if you were to take a closer inspection, as you and, I guess, Larry spoke to, uh, you've got you've to dive into things, whether you like it or not, if you want to find the truth, and most people don't. That's what it comes down to, both in Christianity and both in just an understanding of the real history of the world. So, you know, in in a sense, it's parallel. And what strikes me just so strangely is how some of the hardest nuts to crack are those that are both Christians and patriots and, you know, buying things in the Bible, you know, that's not the way that, you know, as you guys said, I mean, this is what's being spoken. It becomes a corruption of what is written. And, that, and then that gets preached, and it gets run with. And before you know it, you've got Lord knows how many how many millions of people and how many generations that have truly bastardized a verse. And, I mean, it's one thing, like you said, if you're reading for the sake of academia, and I remember those days of the first and last sentence of a paragraph, but here you're dealing with the Word of God. And to me, when it says, and the Word was God, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking that there's something very different about that, and you cannot approach that scripture with, with the same nonchalance you can with yeah. other texts. Okay. Yeah, it, it, obviously it, it's clear that uh, under this satanic system that we live under, they they use that uh, the, the corruption of the Word of God as a, as a justification for a lot of things that are have been done, including what happened to the Native Americans. So. Um, and they're just one of thousands of uh, probably millions of cases of people <laughs> who have been wiped out under the name of God, and uh, but it was not really the true God or based on the true teachings of God. So, but what's interesting too is the fact that in all this is like, I mean, you know, God or the intelligent designer, the God who created this world that created us and allowing all this. <laughs> he, this is obviously part of his will to how this happens. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a conundrum and it's a, it's a, it's something I'm really dealing with because I've got compassion and feelings and I, I, I feel for the native Americans and what had to them uh, deeply. And it's very unjust. Um, at least on a super, on a temporal level, from with you know my, based on my own understanding and in my eyes, but could it be something to do spiritually? You know what I mean? That it was just spiritually. I don't know. I don't know. It's just something that a man. These are questions that a man who who starts thinking about it must deal with, and 
and it, uh, it is one that there, there are issues that are hard to deal with and to face. I think a lot of people just don't want to deal with it because it does consume you and you're like, how could this all be? How could a country that quote unquote is Christian turns out really it's Catholic, but it's <laughs> based on everything about it. I mean, it's, it's finally like, you know, the, the nation's capital, the building there is basically a giant basilica. So, but even if that wasn't the case, and if it, um, and, and it was strictly a bunch of Puritans, or even a bunch of Protestant, Protestants in this country, um, based on history, things would still be basically the same. So what has happened to our, you know, we look at our people. What has happened to us? Does that make you think, reading this, does it make you think about what happened, what has happened to us? I mean, I know there's the mixing of church and state, and we both agree on the fact that it's it's not right, and it's uh, not scriptural, but what has happened to us? <laughs> Let's go, you know, here's what I think, okay? And I mean, this didn't dawn on me all that long ago. I mean, I continually think, especially at this stage in my life, you know, I, I go, I see a lot of uh, visions of the past. And I, and I, I question certain things. Uh, actually, and that kind of process led me to where I am today when I started doing this around 2000, the year 2000 saying, you know, something isn't right, and that's when I started going off on this path about, okay, why are certain things not making sense? Um, and But we all, see, we all overlooked that as we were growing up because we were in the system, uh, we were buying whatever they were dealing with us, and the only time really that we went astray is when we saw our country get involved in certain kind of conflagrations that weren't really making sense. And I mean, Vietnam was right in the middle of my life, and I'm not complaining. But it was something like that that makes you question what's going on, especially when you see the length of the war, the lack of resolution, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, having said that, when I said the system before, I understand. I think I understand now why Bibles were allowed in school. That was to form this amalgam between the United States and Christianity. Therefore, whatever we do is okay because God really likes us a lot you know, because pilgrims and Puritans came over here. That's really the extent of it, okay? So we were a Christian <laughs> country, so God really likes us a lot. So we can pretty do anything we want to. So what, So when people used to get upset, Christians or whatever, about taking the Bible out, for the purpose that that Bible was used, as far as I can attest to in my public education career, take it out because you, because you misused it. And I think that's what leads today. Now that the Bible's not at, in the schools, it doesn't matter because the amalgam has been created. We are loved by God. Therefore, whatever we do has got to be Jake with our Lord. Right. Because we are what we are, and it's not the case. That's what drives me nuts about, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, why does any church in a, in a sanctuary or anywhere else have any flags of anything? Get them out of here. That's got nothing to do with Jesus Christ. It's the same thing as Caesar's coins. Get them out of here. All right? And it goes on from there. So that even you get into this thing about Christians and military and, you know, it's, it's you know, God loves us, so we have to go and execute his wishes. Is it his wishes? I kind of think not. But that's where we are. 
So, I mean, long story short, Michael, I mean, what you said is true. I mean, there has been a very successful and evil connection made where there should be no connection. And that did not come out of the Bible. That did not come out of the church. But it came out of John Dewey's public school system. Dewey was a flaming, um, what I call him, socialist, communist, whatever. I mean, it's amazing that, that he would be the person. But that's what led us down this path even before we had the National Department of Education. So this was created that whatever we do must be good because God really loves us and we're right on. And here we are. Yeah, here we are. And I think what it comes down to, like the Bible, the Bible you see what they did, that's what religions and all in man's institutions are doing to to us and um is they're not really they're using the Bible as a tool instead of uh the truth and to teach people the truth. So what they do is piecemeal whenever it's it's becoming uh self evident whenever you start hearing a man who starts um does a whole sermon based on one verse, you probably would be better off going and having a getting yourself a hot dog. The reason why I say that is is because you're listening to a man's opinion, his own vain philosophy, instead of just simply reading the Bible. And isn't that interesting that that book <clears throat> itself, just the fact that it was there, did so much good, and yet did so much damage. And the good is because it's there for men to read if they want to know who their God is and how to have a, a, a real relationship with our God. But at the same token, it's also because the tendency the man has to, what you know, uh, because we're all fallen and we're really, you know, quite wretched and willingness to lie and deceive. And I've come to the conclusion that if a man does not know God and God doesn't do, his spirit doesn't dwell and dwell on him, he's going to be, Basically, a con artist. This and, the, and our our whole system that we live in is a big giant con. It's a big house of cars, and it's a bunch of it's lies upon lies upon lies. And the way you rise to the top in this world is to lie, and so you use the Bible as a way to con people out of their money, their time, their energy, so that you can benefit from it. And that's a that's that's just self-evident that's what's going on and uh, i'm seeing this in people that i've been interacting with the past couple of months on the show um and even people i even care about that are very nice people that are still using the word of god as a way to play god and to um well con other people does that make any sense i'm laughing because every time i see these commercials these supposed Christian dating sites Uh on TV, and it always talks about God. Whenever you have something supposedly Christian that never uses the word Lord, you know, or Jesus Christ, it's just God, you know it's bogus. Because, I mean, God (laughs) is God. God means everything to everybody. You know what I mean? Pretty much. Yeah, it's very much. You know, um, it's happening. I know you wanted to stay on topic, so I I don't want to pick too far. From the things I've been dealing with, I don't know if you've paid attention to all of the show, but it's been some pretty wild stuff I've been 
talking to people about. And uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it seems to be. It's quite disturbing, Keith. <laughs> I know this sounds. It is disturbing. The things I've been learning was through this show about myself and about uh, the people. Uh, just how people are willing to just pretty much for a pot of pot of, for a pot of porridge. No, they really will sell their soul, and they'll just they don't even know it at this point. They don't even know what they're doing. So the reason why no. And you were talking about the, the bad that is done through the, the misuse of the Bible, but it's the old story, whether they're Bibles or they're guns, nothing is good or bad except how human beings use it. And that's really the bottom line. But the second thing is this, and that is, you know, Satan is the great corrupter. He's the great liar. I mean, when I think of him being called the prince of the air, I also consider him the prince of the airwaves. Because look at uh, both broadcast TV and radio as disseminators, disseminations, disseminators, excuse me, of information. And you know it's skewed right from the very beginning. And I mean, what I used to say to people when I had done the show is like, think about when you get up in the morning and how many times in a day you receive information that you have to straighten out because it's lies. Whether it's commercials, whether it's news, whatever it is, we don't realize how often for those of us who, quote, get it, um, how many times you got to straighten stuff out from a crooked message? And, I mean, if you were to count, you'd be, I mean, easily from dawn to dusk, you probably would have like 20 to 30 instances on a regular day. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, the whole thing is, is a tank of lies. So, I know. You know, they talk about the, the total depravity of uh, man, or depravity of man, and it's starting to get. To, I, I never realized. I knew how bad it was, but I never realized how bad we are. <laughs> I mean, really, it's. And you know, we dressed it up with, uh, you know, putting on a suit and tie or a pretty dress and putting the makeup on and all that stuff, and a nice facade. But uh, you know, it goes back to this whole thing about what you said about the seeing that uh, amazing, having that amazing experience with those bison. And it's, it's as this culture, this society, this matrix that we live in pro- progresses and spreads like a virus throughout the whole world. And I don't want to sound like a tree hugger, but let's be honest about it. As we go, we poison the rivers, we poison the air. We poison the land. We poison the people that we come in contact with. It's like a giant virus. I mean, it really comes out. You know, it says in the Bible about how the dragon gives this beast system that we live under, this mystery Babylon, its power. It really is. I mean, look what it's doing. Can you see what I'm saying? It's like literally spreading throughout the whole world and causing mass ex- extinction and everything else. And, but we're so blind, so delusional, and because our heads are so full of lies from the get-go that we can't recognize reality. We can't see what's self-evident right in front of our face. And so we just keep perpetuating like a train wreck, if you will, um, 
to our own destruction. And we don't even realize it. Now, I don't want to sound super negative about that, but I guess I do. I don't mean to sound so defeatist about it, but one can only come to this conclusion. It's like, and look at the yearnings that you have, the yearning that I have, that we all have, we want to escape this, want to give way. And it's like a, it's just like a giant um, virus. It's like a plague. We are the plague. We've become the plague. And we don't even know it. The difference, though, is this. We have the antidote. Yes. And I'm, I'm just going to explain to you where I'm at at this stage. I'm in my mid-60s, and in the last almost 15 years, I'm not going to say I devoted totally to um, unearthing well, it's the old story, you know, the only conspiracy is the history you don't know about. And, that, uh-huh. and, and most of that real history is what we don't know about because it wasn't in the propaganda of the textbooks. And as, you know, you've heard me say, Americans are dumb people <laughs> because they've been propagandized into believing they can't be propagandized. The point is, is that if we understand that our nation is not much different in its in its essence, in the way other nations are formed, that we're in corporations, um, and that the nature of that beast is to survive and by any means necessary. But if you understand that, you can still live within it. Now, I withdrew from this because I knew with my age that I know what's going to happen. I've seen it all. And I just want to live my life with my wife in a manner that we can enjoy whatever time we have left. Um, that's not that I gave up on it, but one of the things I think is key, and this is why you see you know, smartphones and iPads and everything out there, and the more information taken, the more sewage you take in. You are what you integrate. And I have no problem and do not feel the least bit at a disadvantage that I refuse to be hooked into iPads, I take. I have no smartphone. Um, I believe in being quiet and thinking and getting away from the blah blah blah, and I think that's important. But because of where we are at this particular time in, in the advancement of technology, they want people hooked into crap 24/7. Can they think analytically? Probably not. Are they being amused to death? Probably. And I'm not going to have any part of it. I mean, I see people driving on – I mean, I don't have to go through the whole thing. You know, I mean, I see people on, on – here they're driving 75 miles down a, down a road, and they're talking, and they're not seeing where they are, and they go ahead, and they drift into a lane where somebody's coming up on them, and I'm in the back here going, am I going to be involved in this or a witness to this? I mean, I mean, they're amusing themselves to death. They've been taken over by the power of the airwaves, and I refuse to do it, and I'm not missing anything. When people come back and go, well, did you see this? No. Did you hear? No. What do I need to know anymore? I know what the deal is. Get away from hmm. it, man. You, and how many people take time to read scripture? How many times do they, even even if they're not Christian, take the time to meditate, whatever that means, or do deep hmm. breathing, or do something to put their mind in neutral, to give it a freaking break? They don't do it. It's noise, and they're addicted to it, and I refuse to have that happen to me. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's where we're at. Keep them busy. Keep them confused. Keep the garble going, and they'll be—you know—they'll do whatever you want them to do. And this goes for Christians and everyone else too. 
you know, technology and electric electronics, we always said, you know, it's a convenience until it's being used as control. And that's what it is. It's sold to you as convenience, and it certainly is, and there's some good elements to it. But more than anything else, it's control. I mean, I'm getting to the point where people look at me going, why aren't you on Facebook? Huh? Why aren't you on Twitter? Huh? No, get out of here. What am I, 14 years old? I, somebody likes me? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> I mean, I, I go into a Verizon store just to try to get another phone because this one crapped. I mean, I don't have anything on it. There's no games. It's a phone. That's what it's supposed to be. And mm. you look at me like, you know, I go, yeah, I am a Luddite, okay? You won't understand why that's important, but you will someday, probably when it's too late. So just suffer the old man what I want and let me get out of here. I mean, people, <laughs> I can't believe people are looking at smartphones like they're cars. 35 minutes, that's why I'm saying, no, I'm not going to sign on in here. I just want to get a – give me a damn phone and let me get out of here. You know, they're walking yeah. all around looking at all the models, and I'm like, oh, man, where have we come? I'm, I'm, where have we gone to? Well, it makes me think, you know, uh, how they systematically have brought us to this point. You look at the pseudo-communities that they've given us, whether it starts with the public school system and then the church, um, where you and then television, and now it's the Internet, and now it's Facebook. Uh, you look at the fact, you know, the majority of our lives, where we live in a box, one of the place we live, and then the car we drive, and there's the grocery store that we go to. And um, I don't know how many times, especially lately, you're just driving around and just like, I'm. This is bizarre. This is this, this really. I live in a really weird world, and we're. Um, and I ask myself, am I the only one around that's thinking this? Is this really okay, my existence? Why am I and everyone else so accepting of this? Um, this shallow, impersonal, inhumane uh, system that we live on. I mean, I wonder sometimes, is it because of the stories of what happened to the Native Americans that were so willing to isolate ourselves from each other and have this shallow, superficial relationship that we're... And let's face it, Keith, we're also kind of forced into the, this point, too. Oh, you I've tried in, in my own personal re- reality you know, to try to make it something more meaningful, extending myself out to other people in my surroundings, and I'm still here, isolated, Pretty much to and um, <clears throat> I just kind of just, it just blows blows my mind to think that we got to this point. Like I do remember. Did you remember as a kid playing in the neighborhood, uh, just playing capture the flag or whatever it was? <clears throat> now I know the signs, you know, going back to glory days and and or the good old days. But no, it, the the reason why it. There are still a lot, huge problems, but the one thing that, as a kid growing up, and you as well, is that we were interacting with other human beings on a daily basis. wasn't perfect, but at least it was on a daily basis. That wasn't structured and, you know, uh, where we were force-fed 
information that this satanic system wants us to believe in, we could just, you know, remember, I mean, go on this kid and catch in the a turtle, box turtle, or a snake, or playing capture the flag, or just uh, just walking around the neighborhood and talking. And it doesn't happen that much. I notice I've been just paying paying attention to my surroundings. I don't see it happen that that much at all. People are trading off reality for virtual unreality. Yeah. The truth does hurt. Reality does hurt. And what it seems uh, the generations through my life have been approached with trying to um, make it as comfortable as possible with synthetic means. And whether that's entertainment or pharmaceuticals, um, it doesn't matter. It's there. I mean, the funniest thing and the saddest thing I ever saw was video of a guy that came onto a subway with a gun. For, for whatever purpose, you know, we assume he wanted to rob everybody. Do you know that nobody recognized he was in that car for like five minutes because they were all on their iPad? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a like a comedy skit, at yeah, least. Yeah, like where, where, the, where the robber just goes, oh, crap, you know, like, you know <laughs> and walks out of the door, you know. I'm, I'm looking at that going, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, Michael, it, it looks like it should be a scene in a comedy, you know, which is, a farce or something, but that's what happened. The guy couldn't get anybody's attention because they were all got their heads down. So at any rate, but, you know, so here we are. So my point is this. Technology is neither good or bad, but how it's used. And it's not being used well now, and people are trading off the unreal, uh, the real for the unreal. And that's the best I can come up with it. They want to put themselves in a place other than where they really are physically at that point, and that's kind of dangerous on a number of levels. So... Uh, before this year is over, I'm going to put myself into a place uh, where I, I'm, I'm looking for Grover's Corners, you know, Thornton Wilder's <laughs> mythical New Hampshire town. I'm looking for uh, Music Man. You know, I'm, I'm looking for a town like that uh, because... Are we all, though? Are we all? Yeah, you down inside? Well, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not too sure because I don't think people can... can People will get bored real fast if you can't titillate them with instant everything. Uh, and that's what they've been trained to do. I mean, I have a semi-battle with my wife. It's not that bad, but there are times I look at it, I'm going, what are you doing? <laughs> and when we leave here, um, I'm, and I'm not saying she's not into it, but the point is it is seductive. But, you know, in my household amongst our inner circle or whatever, I mean, we understand it. It's like, you know, check your brain out of this stuff and go get a deep breath of air, you know, whether we bird watch or not. I mean, that's the kind of thing you do just to, just to say, time out, time out. That's enough. Nobody today, I shouldn't say nobody, but so many today don't understand time out. That's enough. So, you know, be that as it may, but, you know, there's one thing we lost with the Native peoples. It was some kind of respect for the environment, uh, for the uh, furry and feathery beings. Uh, they may have been pantheists. Okay, that's not great. But they had a reverence. You know, it's funny. Gordon and I talked about this one time. He says he comes down to what Chief Dan George told uh, Dustin Hoffman in um, a Little Big Man. Uh -huh. When um, 
I think Hoffman comes in like the second time he comes back from the white world and he finds that um, grandfather, Chief Dan George, is blind and he had been blinded by whites. And he says, they have no center. I think, and that's true. You know, we have no center. We don't respect anything. And, you know, let's put it this way. Whether I contributed to that or not, I'm going to go the same way with everyone else. But I kind of want to move myself away from as many of them as possible because I'm not down with all this kind of thing. So, you know, I'm not saying, yeah. uh, you know, I'm Jeremiah Johnson, but <laughs> this, is, this is not the way we were meant to live and where we're going. And cities are crazy places. Yes, this this uh, European Roman style culture that we live under is just. Uh, and if you ever spend any time in Europe, which I have, uh, you know, lived almost three years in England, and uh, all that time I spent in Portugal. So, in big cities, you know, London and uh, Almada and uh, Lisbon. And as you, as you spread out and you go and you look at the, the community and all that, uh, what is self-evident, what's really happening to this country is it's being Europeanized in all its aspects. And whether it's political or, you know, and socially or even the infrastructure itself. And uh, I find it interesting, I was thinking, as you were talking about, I was thinking about a middle-aged woman with glasses alone going to probably say the state park just to get away from her life her surroundings and thinking to myself why we allowed it allowed this why have we accepted this why is it okay that a man has to go travel an hour to go to somewhere to experience uh, God in his fullness, his creation, you know, what he's created. Of course, it's, the creation is not the creator, but still we can uh, reverence him and respect what he has done. Uh, and there's a yearning for that. And I think of that, that sad circumstances, that middle-aged woman just sitting there with her arms crossed and just trying to soak it all in, which should be, in reality, uh, a more of a daily experience for all. And yet it isn't. And why we just accepted it, why we just tolerate it, and... Um, I think it's all part, you know, it talks about the Bible about the strong delusion. I think this strong delusion, the more and more I look into it, is more than just, you know, whether or not the papacy is uh, the biblical historical antichrist. I think the strong delusion is that we are all under a very strong delusion <laughs> and disconnected from our reality uh, in its entirety. And I find it fascinating that the culture that we live under felt it so a necessity to like a guy like um, Wolfoko or Voka 
to get rid of him, to um, recreate him, to distort who he was. Why we're so such a necessity to eliminate their influence. And it's just an example. It's, and it's, it's not just our country. It's it's the whole world. Where there's you know. And uh, have you ever thought about that? Why was it such a necessity for them to, to get rid of them? I, I believe it had to be more than just mineral rights and the land. It seems to me that a lot of these indigenous populations uh, were a great threat to the system that we're under. So they had to get rid of them instead of embracing them. I don't know if you thought about that. Yeah, I, no, believe me, I have. Um, but one of the things that it comes down to, and, and um, looking around because the other uh, I wanted to talk about central to um, the Florida tribe's uh, existence, and he. Um, well, his name was Osceola, and he was not a chief by birth. He was not in royalty. They call him chief, but he really wasn't. He was um, mixed race. His name was Powell, uh, born in Georgia, but came down into Florida. But the point I'm getting at right now is that, for the most part, Osceola was a hitman. He was muscle, and that's how he made his bones amongst the Seminoles, and he did that successfully. But as he told, he got in the face of... Uh, military officer, and he said, okay, for the most part, I, I, it's around here somewhere. I bother with it now, but he said, look, you've got guns, we've got guns. You've got powder, we've got powder. You've got bullets, we've got bullets. You'll fight, we'll fight. And we'll fight till the last drop of blood moistens the earth. The problem is, from that point on, and this is why the Patriots are up a creek without a paddle, and that is, if you think if you think having guns is going to stop the government from taking you over, and we've been through this, you're nuts. Because the day of equal weaponry, if you want to play that game, is over with. It's over. They've got lasers. We don't. You know, they have energy-directed weapons. We don't. So forget that, even if it were possible. But it, the point is this. What God made on earth, he made for us to love. There's a reason why we like Green, the way green grass looks, not purple grass, green grass, and That's blue right. skies and blue rivers and gray mountains and purple mountain majesties and, you know, waves of grain. And when man comes in, he pulls it out and cements everything. It's something lost. It's something's gained. That's why this whole idea of technology and what that would have meant to the native peoples in time, I got you got to say, it would have been a, it would, you'd be hard pressed to find some kind of harmony to let native peoples live in peace because the native peoples and their further generations are just like you know white folks and black folks and, and they're you know it's interesting that sooner or later you know you kind of get sucked into that vortex because that's the only game in town that's just how it is but to a point where there is no respect for other anything else except human life and there's not very much respect for that, um, has all downsides, and we're in that situation right now. I mean, when, when you trade off the real for the unreal, something's radically wrong, and we've entered into, I think, that 
period, epoch, whatever, of our lives. So, but anyway, um, we take a little break and we get back to uh, Wovoka and Osceola. Sure, let's do it. Let's get back to it. Well, you, you could play the other one. <laughs> okay, I, it's, I can get it going here. I tell you what, use that as a break song because that is beautiful. And John Anderson does a great, great job of capturing Florida um, and the uh, the legacy of Osceola and the way things are going down here. Uh, and it's beautifully done as well. So if you don't mind doing that, then uh, I can go blow oh, my yeah. nose and come back. Okay, that sounds good. Here we go.
YouTube if anybody cares to take a look at it. Uh, and it's very well done. Very well done. The complete package, the song, you know, Anderson's writing and singing, and also the video presentation. Uh, if you get a chance, take a look at it. I mean, if you're so moved by something like that, you will certainly be moved. It's a very and, nice song. Very nice yeah. song. You know, you know, what's interesting is how so many of us kind of, you hear it in his voice and the song, uh, a lamenting of regret of the past. Um, it's almost like a yearning to, to go back. It's just uh, a wish that we, for those of us to still have a memory <laughs> of something different. Maybe it's our age. Maybe that's the way it is. I don't know. Because, but it's, but uh, a lament of remorse for where we're at. What has been done. Um, and that's it. I find that very interesting because you know it's it's you and I were not involved in any of this yet we still have a remorse and a regret for what we has been clearly been lost you know the connection to God's creation of this gift that he's given to us this world and uh, the things of the past and and it seems like almost like also a yearning, a wishing, if we could have uh, more of different types of people around us. Because the odds are probably that we probably would probably get a guy like yourself and I would probably relate to, to a lot of these people, some of those, et cetera, you know. Not that they would all like us and not that we'd have, you know, fall in love with the people themselves, but there'd be people in in their group that we probably would be able to connect with in a deeper level than we were finding in the what we're finding now, you know, the people around us. So. And I think about you, I mean, you talked about, you know, the move and the people that you're around and you're just walking around and um, what you're seeing and uh, the disconnect and, and uh, yeah. Very, it's, I, I'm sorry if I <laughs> to how I sound today, but this this past couple of weeks has really forced me to really think even deeper. Isn't it interesting this journey that we're taking? It just keeps making you think think deeper uh, into your circumstances and your own situation. So oh, I can only ima- imagine that the Seminoles were feeling the same way at the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> the Seminoles are uh, highly regarded because they never signed a peace treaty with the federal government. <laughs> uh, there are supposedly officially only three seminal wars, the first, the second, the third, uh, but some purists will say there were five or seven. The point being clear that the Seminoles, when not being all that warlike, were certainly obstinate <laughs> about giving anything up. And one of the, if people take the time to take a look, it's interesting how the names of of uh, the tribes and or certain principles in the Seminole Nation uh, live on today in the Midwest, uh, in Oklahoma. Uh, you'll find, I think, what, there's like four or five Osceola counties in the United States. Um, a, a chief that came in after uh, Osceola's days, Bowlegs, Billy Bowlegs, uh, 
there's a town in Oklahoma by the name of Bowlegs about which the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, uh, dirt band wrote. The <laughs> <laughs> I love Nitty Gritty Dirt Bag. <laughs> I know. Isn't that great? What a nice finish that was. I stuck that finish. <laughs> uh, called, uh, what was the name of that to get on back to Bowlegs? Uh, yeah, because, I mean, this, that's why you like this song because it goes, it's time to, to pee on the fire, call on the dogs, and get on back to Bowlegs. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks, Michael. I was trying to get through that. You, uh, anyway, uh, but it, the legacy still continues, and uh, where I where I have lived in Florida, in Central Florida, is pretty much along the trail of um, the Seminoles and their, you know, separate holdouts against the federal government uh, in Osceola. Well, that's an, we'll, we'll say that for a little bit later. But let um, let me. Can I have some loose ends with the with, with Wolbovka? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Real quick, it says in the spring of 1875, a great excitement was caused among the Indians by a report that two mysterious beings with white skins, and in parentheses, it will be remembered that the father of Wolbovka was named Tavibo or White Man, uh, had appeared among the Paiute far to the west and announced the speedy resurrection of all the dead Indians. All right, now here's where it gets down to the nitty-gritty, as you had read that letter before, about the misinterpretation of Revelation. You can see that this this kind of has the feeling of the second coming of Christ, right? All right. Says, uh, it talked about, yeah, a speedy resurrection of all the dead Indians, the restoration of the game, and the return of the old-time primitive life. Under the new order of things, moreover, both races alike were to be white. A number of Indians from Utah went over into Nevada where they met others who claimed to have seen these mysterious visitors farther in the West. On their return to Utah, they brought back with them the ceremonial of the new belief, chief part of the ritual being a dance performed that night in a circle with no one in the center, uh, very much as in the modern ghost dance. Uh, and uh, lastly, it is said that the Mormons who hold the theory that the Indians are the descendants of the, quote, ten lost tribes, cherish as a part of their faith the tradition that some of the last Hebrew immigrants are still icebound in the frozen north, whence they will one day emerge to rejoin their brethren in the south. We're talking about Canada to the United States. When the news of this Indian revelation came to their ears and Mormon priests accepted it as a prophecy of speedy fulfillment of their own traditions, and Orson Pratt, one of the most prominent leaders, preached a sermon which was extensively copied uh, and commented on at this time, merging urging the faithful to arrange their affairs, put their houses in order to receive the long-awaited wanderers. So there you have a little bit more of the uh, the Mormon connection into what might have uh, impacted Wavoka. I didn't know it was ten lost tribes, but I guess I guess that's right. Now it's coming back to my memory, so it's been a well, while. Are we talking about ten and two? Are we looking at Israel and Judah? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Well, if you're talking 10, and I thought it was 12 too, Michael, <laughs> 10, the only way 10 comes up with the tribes, as far as I know, is, is 10 and 2, Judah and uh, and Israel. Yep. That makes sense to me. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was pervasive, in, not only in Mormon, Mormon culture, but uh, in uh, American culture during that period. So... It was something that was pushed, and it makes you wonder why it was pushed. Um, 
I think part of it was um, the fact that the, that the Native Americans, uh, you can see from the very get-go, you know, as they join, they join out of necessity, um, as far as Christendom is joining the church and being baptized and all that, in order to simulate and to cause to create peace for themselves, but in the end, uh, they a great amount of resentment, and so it's it's almost like it, at the time it was um, a way a psychological warfare, if you will, once again a way of manipulating the populace to um, how do you say this? I mean, what? You, <laughs> To say that it is, you know, one of the lost tribes, and it could have been in the end of the day. Who knows? But there's no foundation for no historical foundation, really. I mean, in my research, most of the claims for it were fabrications from Mormons. In fact, even that the the quote unquote like the archaeological finds were, you know, carvings and rocks and all that they did themselves, and then so the Indians did, which is. Uh, it's a warning to all who, when they they see pictures and they see something that's engraven on a rock, and then they tell you it was five or four thousand years old when it was done, and you find out that they just did it twenty years ago, <laughs> or did it a year ago, that you really can't trust what they're saying <laughs> when it comes to that. That's not evidence at this point. So, but uh, my point in all this whole thing is, is that why were they pushing? This whole lost tribe scenario. What would, what would be the advantage for uh, Anglo American white Americans to make up such a story? Well, specifically as it applied to what was going on out in the West, which is where, as we said once before, the last bastions of um, the country that had been still existed. I mean, as you know. Whites had gone as far as what St. Louis, and so how far west had they gone beyond that with, with their influence? Well, not enough really to change things, I guess. Uh, and so, what I'm saying is, is that here you have the Mormons, and what I was saying specifically amongst the whites, the Mormons, uh, I think, could proselytize and enlist so many more Native Americans into their religion if they could show this kind of um, symbiosis. So I would assume it would be to the Mormons' benefit to increase their numbers by selling this. And I mean, think about it. What organized religion, I don't know, between the Rockies and the Mississippi, stronger than uh, Mormonism? Well, it's supposed to be the largest corporation. So, um, and I don't know. I don't know any, any other besides Catholicism that there is, uh, is Mormonism and Catholicism, believe it or not, in the West. So, um, yeah, it seems makes a lot of sense what you're saying there. That, that's, that's the way it strikes me. Is they were the only ones to gain amongst the whites, really. Yeah, and also it's interesting too how they. Uh, it's clearly the government was behind a lot of this, as far as pushing the Mormons to go out west and motivating them. Uh, they needed a group, a unified group to go out to, okay, let's, let's, be, let's be honest, it's Utah. It's basically, I mean, who wants, it's a desert. <laughs> Why would you want to leave uh, green pastures and, uh, 
and your community to go out west unless uh, you're under very strong delusion of being chosen, a chosen group of people, and that uh, you're doing some, you're doing uh, some kind of special work for God. And then you were out there, and one of the motivating factors too would be to convince people that that uh, what you're doing, you know, with these Native Americans is you're bringing back the truth that they've lost. That's part of it, but think that this also goes back to human condition too. Um, how many of us are willing to fabricate and justify and make up the story for ourselves in order to justify our circumstances and tolerate it? You know what I mean? So how much of it was just way of, uh, how do you say this? Convincing oneself that what they're doing is actually right. Education. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But you know what I'm saying? We are all guilty of this. We all rationalize things to justify why we're doing it. And religion is a masterful and a wonderful study in it, actually, because they have it written down. Most of us don't write down our justifications and our rationalizations for why we're doing things. But an organized religion like uh, Mormonism, well, they expose themselves by writing it down so you can read this stuff, and you're like, wow, this is what they were thinking, really. How did they get to that point? How did they get so delusional that they think this way? You know? And you can imagine if you're the Native Americans who come across people like this, and you start hearing them talk. I wonder what they were thinking. I mean, the, the mad people, it must have been, they must have been felt like, we're dealing with mad people, because that's what they were dealing with. Nice people, people, but they're mad. (laughs) Well, I'm laughing because, well, let me just tell you. I mean, besides the movie Little Big Man, in which uh, Chief Dan George says some real buttes about about the whites, you know, he calls the native peoples human beings. (laughs) Um, But also in uh, Dances with Wolves, which I'll only watch to a certain point. But when when you say it about them looking, these people are crazy. I just was thinking back to the sit-down, the very first sit-down that Costner's character has with the medicine man uh, and one of the stronger young braves. They sit down together, and Costner's trying to make sense to him, and uh, the, the brave looks to the medicine man, you know, or, or the, the, the holy man, and says, he's lost his mind, let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it was just done so well. It's like, yeah, you know, we forget that everybody else thinks the same way we do. We're all human beings. And he goes, this, yeah, he's lost his mind. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Kathy, Kathy737 has a comment, uh, if it's all right. She says, a uh, close examination of the evidence shows the Mormons did not conspire with the Indians in promoting the ghost dance. Uh, oh, influential no, in shaping the idea of Let's see what she's saying here. Ghost dance movement and the ideology of other Christian denominations. Let's put it this way. They did not do that directly, and, and what Wovoka did with it is another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we said who might benefit the most if you could take that amalgamation between Mormonism and whatever form of Christianity plus what the, uh, the Native peoples were doing. So there was no, there was not a direct line that they may have been beneficiaries. Well, that never happened, but we were just conjecturing as to whether 
they would be very interested in the Native Americans more than any other religion per se, like Protestantism, Judaism, Catholicism were at that time. That's it. No, no direct cause and effect, but just another influence in this whole situation. And I'm not dancing around what we said, but to be specific, yes, Kathy's right. But again, you're looking at influences that were taken and run with, and nobody's really responsible for that, yet some can be beneficiaries of that, though that did not happen. Hmm. <clears throat> what a weird time. Huh? What a weird time. <laughs> In fact, right. you know, you think, you think about it, uh, humans are bizarre. We are bizarre, are we not? Let me think about the things that we do and the things we create and the history that we have, and it's all based on a lot of delusional madness. I mean, but primarily what happened was it's, a, it's an extension of the Native peoples being encroached upon more and more and looking for something they can believe in. And, I mean, just think about that. It goes, I mean, human beings are human beings no matter what race they are. Yeah. You think you think about concentration camps or whatever, and and that movie Jacob the Liar, if you remember that at all. I mean, you're looking for something to get through every day, and this was something that fell upon the Native Americans. And as I said, I mean, it's more of an extension of Revelation than it is the Book of Mormon. Um, and yet, you know, when when it came to comparing what was said to what was happening, it wasn't working out. And as he had read before, they thought the white man would disappear. Uh, there was a restoration to the way things used to be. There'd be a certain kind of cleansing. This is not uncommon. Other religions also in other places. But it's just got to do with human beings. And in this situation, Native Americans were caught in this technological boom. So how is this all going to work out? And in the end, really, would the Native American peoples not be more or less seduced to go over to the other side? Because let's face it, it was overwhelming. But we'll never know. However, the way they were treated to this day, you know, was horrible. That's all we can say, you know. And the United States has a history of that kind of conduct, and we probably still are exercising that same thing in places we can't see over in uh, the Middle East and, and, and such. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and let's think about the reason why you ever got to got onto this track, and that was. If we're a Christian country, how can we be guilty of this stuff? And we are. So how do you reconcile that, and, and how many of you look in the other way? Because the tough truth is, this is not cool. This is not what the Lord wanted. In the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and we, we look upon that, and that is, what in the world are you doing, those who believe on Jesus Christ, by messing around with the state mechanisms? There is no okay for that. There is no outclause for that. That is simply something that has been born malignantly, in the organized Christian church. Yeah. And it's become a very effective tool for the ruling elite to use, to manipulate the masses. And uh, one thing I'm discovering, too, is what's going back to the scriptures. And, you know, if, if a man really does spend some time reading it, it causes you to really, and you're, and, and I guess, you know, you know what it makes them like an election. And, and I don't know how much you want to go down this road or not. But just why does one Christian read it and think it's okay to pick up a gun and kill the Native American? Another one reads it 
and he um, clearly reads it and he says, you know, thou shalt not kill, love thy enemy. Um, <laughs> uh, see, the, the great contradiction that's going on actually believes what uh, our, what our God, our Savior said, you know, what he, what he really commands. And they're convicted enough to believe it and to do that. And um, I find it really a fascinating part of who we are as humanity. And uh, there really must be some kind of... There is a difference. And what is that difference? Why do you and I have a conscience about this and care about it? And the average person who calls himself a Christian could care less. In fact, many of them... I mean, I know people who call themselves Christians and go to church that uh, can't wait to go to Iran and kick some butt. And the name God. <laughs> where does this come from? Where the, where the, it's, it's bad. It really is a madhouse, isn't it? <laughs> it really is a madhouse. Really, it's just been a madhouse forever, but it's really... When you finally get to our point, and I imagine for you, just much longer, and over and over again, it comes to the same message. We live in a madhouse. Look, we do, but again, it goes down to the to the kernel, and that is the seed of all this is trying to combine, amalgamate the Gospels with secular governments and actions and it cannot be done it's, of course it is done but it, it it cannot be done it is incongruous in any way shape or form but we succeeded in doing that i don't care if pilgrims came over here or puritans came over I mean, who cares oh they were given safe haven under from religious persecution well what did they turn around and do i mean it's a joke i mean look as far as i understand scripture Jehovah did, did not make these nations. He did not order their borders. All right, that was done on secular um, on secular behalf. All right, the United States. I mean, I'm thinking that when Jehovah looks down or, or whatever, I mean, he looks at the earth. He doesn't see all these demarcation points. You know, like you see on maps, Google. You know, it's uh-huh. like it's just the world. That's all there is. And all these countries did not mean anything to him because he deals with individuals. Not nations. That's why I always cracked up when I hear this stuff about, oh, there'll be a revival in the United States. Why? Why? You know? Oh, if this nation will turn from what? It's not going to turn from anything. You know, it's it's got to do with people and not these counterfeit created borders that demarcate the difference between Canada and the United States and Iran from Iraq and all this other stuff. That's not that's not the Lord's world. That's not what he, what he was about. I mean... So, I mean, it's it's ridiculous because this is also the basis of most wars because this country doesn't like that country and this one did that. And you know it's all agitated. It's all agitated and created uh-huh. um, unorganically. But, you know, again, I, I, I go far afield, but the thing is there is no, there is no um, subset between scriptures and nations. And I'm, see, nations in the Bibles gets used as races or peoples, not as countries, okay? There's no subset there. There's no intermixing. Uh, 
that's created with the mystery – I mean with, with the whole myth about the United States and other places. Oh, this country is more godly. No, it's not. There's no country more godly than any other. Right now, can you think of any nation that really reveres the Lord, that follows after him? Are you kidding no. me? I can't even think of a group, let alone a nation. So, I mean, yeah, what gets me, what gets me hot, and what you're talking about also is this construct that is not of the church. And Well, I shouldn't say it. It's not of Scripture. Right. I mean, I don't understand why the church down the street has, as everybody's does, has flags, especially those with gold fringe. That's even more fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, why you are incorporated, why you shook hands with the state, um, why you allow voting in your church. I'm sorry. I mean, I just, I don't get this. This is, this is not what it's about. Now, look, all of us can see ourselves defending ourselves from an attack. I get that. If you look at Scripture, it, to me it says you should not resist. On a local level, I understand why you would. But on a larger level, there is no doctrine that accepts in the New Covenant righteous war. There is no righteous war. It is an oxymoron. But off we go in the name of Jesus Christ to go fight all these bad people. So, you know. Yeah, I do know. So, you know, it leads us to a point here um, of the answer. And I think we've talked about it a little bit, but we'll talk about more anyways, if it's all right with you. Because um, it's one of those things, as you, as you delve into this, you can really get into the history and all the hypocrisy and all the madness and all that, but ultimately you get to a point where it's like, What's the answer? And it's really weird. I find this fascinating, for at least from my own personal experience, in my own life, is that after looking at all these different options over the years, especially intensely after the past four years, that I would go full circle and go back to basically what I was taught, even by the Mormons, although it was taught wrongly, because they're a fine example of how they manipulate scripture for their own benefit but going back to actually just the bible i'm literally at that stage keith i'm right here now at this stage i spent last year like trying looking at all sorts of different things and that's been not as much time as i should have in the word of god and i'm at this point and it's just like being reduced to the only answer that i have in dealing uh, with the insanity that are around me and the insanity that's in me is opening up the Word of God and just accepting it for what it says. And that's where I'm at. And I find that, well, you know, in a lot of ways it gives me a lot of peace. I finally found the answer, but it really puts everything in perspective. The madness, the madhouse that we're in and that... Uh, I would say to you is that thank you for getting me on this road. I had to go through a whole heck of a lot, but here I am. I actually have a desire, a real desire, at this point to actually read the scriptures, <laughs> just to read it for what it says. You know what I mean? And um, let me ask you, how much time do we have? We got all the time in the world, my friend. <laughs> no. We do. Let me tie up 
at least the situation as it applies. Did Kathy write back at all? <laughs> uh, Kathy? Yeah. As far as? I don't know. She uh, she had made the statement to which I addressed, and I just want to know if she had a rebuttal or, or anything. But No, but she did. She said, uh, I can send it if you want to. There's an article about... Uh, uh, the Mormons and the and their connection with the Native Americans and all that kind of stuff and the Red Horse prophecy and uh, and uh, here's another one she just sent me too. Was see she's been sending articles the Mormons and the Ghost Dance the a literature review and some twenty nine you know so to sum up I can, to sum ahead. up the situation I mean Ghost Dance obviously was what came out of what Wilboka shared with the Chiefs. Um, that was at the, at the core of that song by Redbone. And also there's a, a YouTube video of that too that's pretty pretty done pretty well uh, by Redbone. But you will find that Wilboka is played by a very young Wes Studi. I don't know if anybody remembers that name, but if you've seen a number of in, movies, including uh, The Last of the Mohicans, recent uh, manifestation of that, uh, he's in there. Uh, but it, be that as it may, that was the whole idea behind the dance. But also, then there came ghost shirts and the belief by the Native Americans that if you wore these shirts, you would be impervious to bullets. And then you got a militant sect, mostly young. And I was going to read that to you, but let me just say this. If you could go to archive.org and put in the ghost dance religion and the Sioux outbreak of 1890, and you can read this for yourself. It's very interesting. It's more than we can ever do justice to. That's Mooney's book. Utley has one also called the, uh, the Last Days of the Sioux Nation. Uh, Utley does a great job also. Um, but that is not on, that's not available through archive.org. So um, folks seem to avail themselves of that. And, and really, I mean, it's quite extensive and I think very well done. Um, I don't think it's so Eurocentric whatsoever. I think it's a pretty fair re um, representation of what took place then. And what's so ironic about it is that when the tribes did leave the reservations and were being corralled to be put on trains to go to Nebraska, uh, you know, there was a certain amount of anxiety that had been building up for quite some time. And what happened was a shot was fired, they believed, firstly by, um, as some of the other Native Americans said, um, a crazy person, you know, a, a, a bad person, fired a shot and killed an officer, and then the army just opened up. Now the problem with that is is that the 7th Cavalry was charged with overseeing this embarkation of Indians from South Dakota into Nebraska. The 7th wow. Cavalry obviously was decimated at, at uh, the Little Bighorn. I'm not, I mean, I don't know who could have been left. Obviously there were only supposedly one or two survivors um, from that, that fight. I don't think that anybody lived to be there this time around. But if you're talking about, let's face it, um, a regiment honor, white honor, then did the 7th want to pay back? Maybe, right? So who do they put in charge of this? The 7th Cavalry. And then it starts. And um, the accounts, which I had ripped some stuff from the read, it, it isn't that important right now. But I mean, it was it was horrible. And just to put a, a period on this particular part that we were speaking to, Dee Brown in the book "Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee" talks about 
the complete paradox of dead bodies being brought into a nearby church on December 28th and December 29th. And the Narthex still had over it the seasonal bunting that said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And, you know, nothing need be more said than that. I mean, it's just like, are you kidding me? So we'll we'll put that we'll bring that to an end. Um, as far as going on, Michael, and I mean, get back in your train of thought by all means. I'm sorry about that, but uh, just talk about the episode in the southeast, which probably lives on a little bit longer around here, at, you know, at least with the independence, so to speak, of the Seminoles, who would would not on um, a peace treaty, they knew better with the United <laughs> States government. <laughs> Look ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I, that was a long screen, but no, no. Let's talk, let's talk about the Seminoles. I mean, uh, I, you know, what happened in Wunani and <clears throat> what the Seventh Cavalry did. I mean, there's if the photo if the legit photographs of what the, the picture was. I don't know. I mean, it's got a big trench with a bunch of bodies in it. Yeah. And, the, and the guys, you know, they look like, uh, they almost look like Russian soldiers from <laughs> a different time period a little bit. But, uh, you know, with their heavy coats and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, it, it's the same story over and over again. And it's, it's, it's quite tragic. And uh, it, it, what, what it reminds me of how the fallen state that we all are and how, we are so full of uh, bloodlust and lying and deception and anger and wickedness. <clears throat> and that even if there was, you know, an innocent party in all this or not, the fact of the matter is that's this human nature um, as a whole. Even those cultures and societies that are peace-loving ones, they still, it's in them. It's just easily as it is, uh, uh, you know, the Europeans and what they have done. Um, I just find it uh, tragic. I the more and more we think about these things, it's what I think about. The deeper meaning of all this is how absolutely fallen we are, how wicked we we really are, the potential that we all have. I mean, let's just think about our own lives and how many times have and uh, thinking, we become angry, uh, bitter um, towards other people. I wanted to find out most of the time it wasn't really justified, but it's in us to be angry, to be bitter. Give a group of men guns and get them talking, and there's a good chance somebody's going to die. Doesn't matter who it is, and uh, I'm not saying you know I'm not anti-guns in any way, shape, or form. I'm just stating a fact. <laughs> this is what happens. You get a group of men full of anger, full of their own self-will uh, and or, and desires and their own lusts, that they will eventually do a lot of really bad things. Kill and murder and rape and pillage and that's the history of humanity. 
And, man, we really, um, the degree of the wickedness that we all have, I find it more more tragic than actually the people that died as bad as it was truly as bad as it is and the people that were slaughtered and what's now we're going to talk about the Samoans and what they went through not the Samoans the uh, Seminoles and that uh, the one thing I can say yeah you're right about the Seminoles at least they had enough sense to realize that uh, uh, we were never uh, or white men or the European leadership that settled this country were never going to honor any contract with them, so why bother? Um, and I don't know what the right answer is. You know, you think back of what was the right thing. Was it being passive and just laying back, or was it uh, picking up arms and saying, no, I'll resist to, until, you know, my blood is spilt upon the earth? Or do we just go to Lord? and just say, well, I'm putting my faith in you and that there's something bigger in this life. I don't, that's what I've come to, but I don't blame either side. What a confusing situation to be. Just imagine if we were put in the same position, just look at the positions we are in now, our inability to do anything about whether it's the Federal Reserve, how they tax us, steal from us, enslave us, everything else. Um, what a predicament mankind is in. White or not, it really doesn't matter. We are in a terrible predicament. And um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry if I sound so... Keith, I'm sorry if I sound so negative or so uh, not giving... You, but you, I think you and I have come to the same conclusion, right? There is no, there is only one answer at this point. So, And... Uh, but, you know, it's not like it's okay that this goes on. We're not saying that. There's this understanding, no. misunderstanding among many that the Christians are all, okay, do whatever you want, you know, hasten the Lord's return, Maranatha. Well, that's not the case. I mean, it's not okay that this stuff goes on, but we are powerless to stop it. The only thing you can do is to share the message, and that's all you're called to do. I mean, yes, you can protest, you can denounce, you can remove yourself from some of these things. With, yeah, no doubt. But, I mean, you can't turn around and look at what's happening and saying things are getting better. They are not. I don't like it. I don't want it to be that way. But it's it's happening, and it's prophesied to happen. That's when I finally woke up and I realized that the NWO and Satan are one and the same and that this is happening. I mean, it's croaching steadily, sometimes quietly, toward this result. And that's not good. I'm not happy for the things that aren't going well. No. But I also haven't had a whole lot of success holding back the tide. And I've tried many <laughs> venues, and the only thing the Lord – I mean, it's like the Lord says, what are you doing? Here's a, here's a great story from you, and I heard this in college, believe it or not. My freshman year, I take uh, Western, Hemis- what, Western Civilization. I have no idea what this guy's talking about, but later on I realized the import of this, and you will too, right now, because you know better. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he was talking about the cruelty of the Inquisition in Spain conducted by not the Jesuits in this point, but the Dominicans. That's true, true. And the, the apocryphal story meant for emphasis was that the Inquisition was questioning people, and sooner or later they said, you know, off with his head. And who comes up in line but Jesus? And 
the inquisitors are just just a glow. Look who's here, Jesus Christ. He says, well, what do you think, Lord? Look at what we did to try to advance uh, your kingdom. He goes, I didn't want you to do this. And they said, take his head off. (laughs) (laughs) But you see, that's the point. The point is clear. And that's the way things are. And that's, you know, again, that's what Dan George said. You know, this is the way things are. And they are. If, no, maybe, the, maybe the biggest and the grandest delusion of all really is that man thinks they have the ability and the right to create the kingdom of God on earth when clearly our Lord Savior told us that this kingdom is not of this world. And this is what I see over and over again is what they're doing when, they, when you combine the state and religion. This is who wants to have the kingdom of God on this earth? Well, of course, that would be the prince of this world. What does he want? He wants to have absolute dominion over this whole place. And uh, and I mean absolute. I'm not just talking about the government. I'm talking about even what type of, uh, you know, let's look at GMOs, you know, genetic modified foods and, uh, a, you know, even at the grass that's in your yard. You know what I mean? It's what he wants. He wants absolute total control. And uh, that's what I see is the manifestation of all these things is just that. But what we're seeing is a very incredible satanic deception where an awful lot of people, it doesn't matter if you're Roman Catholic or uh Christian identity group, or you are a Zionist, Christian Zionist, or you're a, doesn't matter what religion, you know, if you're a a Muslim, everybody wants this desire, and at least the reprobates, I know it's a hard one to say, but it's true, you you must have a reprobate mind to think these things. The great kingdom of God, the kingdom of God on this earth, and of course, every these fallen men all believe that they know what that is and that they um, they represent and they will tell us what the kingdom of God will be. And um, that's the grand design in this whole thing. This new world order really is their desire to create the kingdom of God on this earth. On this earth. The most apostate of things, of all the things, to think that man has the right and the privilege and the duty to create king, the, the kingdom of God on this earth. That's what motivates them. That's the reason why you know the Pope there in Rome uh, claims himself to be the vicar of Christ, the representative of God, the divine right to rule the world, the papacy. But you know, it's all—it's just a political. If you can re- re- uh, step back a little bit from the religious aspect of it and just recognize what it is, that it's a political system, a satanic system, that's just using a bunch of uh, very ignorant people. And what makes, what's uh, fascinating too is that if you look at God gave us the answer, he gave us the book through the Reformation. And people will say, well, you're just being really religious. No, I'm not offering you religion I don't offer anything except, you know, if you read the book, you're going to come to a conclusion that God's not offering you religion. He's offering you a personal relationship with him. Not religion at all. And so once you realize that, you see everything around you is not of God. They're not doing God's will. 
They're doing man's will. There's a fascinating statue out there. Have you ever seen the naked man? I can't remember the name of the uh, the name of the, the god, but he's holding the earth. And it certainly is. That's what it's what we're seeing is just a man and his desire and, and his delusion that he thinks that he's in control. <laughs> he's doing. It. He's at the capability to do his own will, and. What we see is the manifestation of that. When man operates based on his own will, his own desire, it's nothing but a dung heap that he can make in the end. It starts out looking pretty, but in the end, it's just a big giant dung heap over and over again. So, I hate to sound so preachy about that, my brother, but I don't know what else to say at this point. Uh, maybe it's the mind state I'm in right now, but I just, uh, it's just from everything I'm learning, it's just like, goodness gracious, there's no other answer. It, these madmen want to create their kingdom of God on earth. That's what we're dealing with, and at the end of the day, their kingdom of God, their idea of what the kingdom of God is, was never supposed to be in the first place. But Michael, that has crept into the supposed evangelical church. True, true. Oh, yeah. And they misuse Romans for that purpose. All right? I mean, and I'm looking at this because this is one of the things that got shot back at me when I was going back and forth with this one group. Group out of Charleston. No, out of Columbia, South Carolina. Excuse me. The Lord's Prayer reads, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, period. Thy kingdom come, period. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, to show that they have scriptural support in trying to make this kingdom on earth, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is not what he wants. I mean, the Lord was very clear about it, and we've talked about this too. I mean, in the Gospels, it, it, in two places, it talks about Satan saying to Jesus, you know, I, I, you know, these are my kingdoms to give to whomsoever I wish. And Christ didn't argue with him because that's the truth. Okay? Right. That's his that's his territory, and it was given to him. All right, it cannot be until Christ returns. But anyway, here's what they did. He says, well, look, he gives me this part of the the Lord's Prayer, and it says, you know, our Father which art in heaven, um, hallowed be thy name, period. But here's what they do. Thy kingdom come, they take the period out. I'm serious, Uh what happened? So it would read, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven meaning thy kingdom come as it is in heaven. And I said, so what you're telling me, guys, is that you just took out a piece of punctuation to, to falsify support for your wanting to make this place, this country, a theocracy. That's what, they, that's what they resorted to do, and I could not believe it. Right? The kingdom uh-huh. cannot come here now. Am I right or wrong? I agree with you, yes. No, it's um, cursed earth, and that's all there is to it. And you not the Lord knew you could not create a theocracy there. He was very well aware of that. I mean, if anything, you know, like I said, it, it goes back to First Samuel, what was it, 8? You know, in which, in which Solomon says, hey, guess what? They want a king, remember? Jehovah's yep. like, yeah, okay, fine. And this is what the king will do. <laughs> <laughs> to me, at that point, the tribe said, you know what? It's it's great, Jehovah, that like you're ahead of us, but we really like a king like these other countries. And he said, "You got it." So my point is, you know, there is nothing Christian about government. 
And anyone serving in federal government cannot be a sold-out Christian. Impossible. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it doesn't matter. No, we're going to do this. We're going to vote Christians into office so we can have a theocracy, and it's not going to work. It hasn't worked, and it never will work. And just recently, Jerry Falwell Jr., he is throwing his weight behind Donald Trump. <laughs> now, can you believe that on two counts? One, why are you getting involved in secular politics? Render unto Caesar what Caesar's. And Donald Trump, that profligate, are you serious? That ass clown? <laughs> Amazing. Donald Trump has no religion except the do-re-mi. No, it is, oh, I mean, that, that to me, holy mackerel. Well, yeah, in a micro level, though, we can go back to the evangelicals and these uh, pastors that start their little, like, uh, Calvary Chapel or whatever, you know, some kind of little, their little church, their little uh, kingdom of God on earth, uh, where they, um, they're just as guilty as the politician, because they're doing basically the same thing. They're both wrong. You're absolutely right. This is what I'm trying to say. It's like, what, are you kidding me? You know, and, right. and how, once again, why are you getting involved in politics? You don't vote? I mean, you can vote if you want to. I mean, I don't vote because, one, I know it doesn't matter, but, two, I wouldn't do it anyway now because, to me, it's just like, you know, getting involved in some kind of, like, occult practice. Um, and like I said before, why why is this church – allowing its, itself to be used as a precinct voting center? Why do you have flags, which are nothing more than logos for satanic corporations they call countries? Mm -hmm. Why? Why are you backing war? So, I mean, but this is where it's gone. And, and I, I'll tell you personally that I, I'm on the outs of my in-laws because they fully believe in this whole thing. That's their church. And I'm like, I won't have anything to do with it, you know? First of all, the whole structure of the church is not what, what the Lord wanted. You know, what we see today is one pastor and all this other stuff is not in the ballgame. It was not called for for the very obvious reasons that one person can be corrupted and so easily used and preaches to the choir literally all the good news they want to hear so they can keep those people coming in and laying money in the tray. And that's why, you know, I'm making 80000 with two homes and uh, all is good. Not what it's about. And in these churches, as you well know, it's more cross than crown. I mean, it's more crown than cross. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about feeling good and being successful and popular and big. That's pretty much what Jesus didn't want. I, well, I totally agree with you. And I, it makes me think of something, once again, about election. Some people talk about also about a remnant of God. But I'm getting the impression, I could be wrong, folks, I don't know. But God's elect recognized the hypocrisy in the secular world and in Christendom and in an organized religion. And they come out, and instead of putting their faith in, in uh, man and their institutions, they, God works within them to develop a faith in him. And what, you know, it comes about elections, so, you know, why, is, why can you see that? I mean, yeah. I, what I'm discovering too, God's elect, most of us got a lot of wars. And the rest of the world will look at us and say, that's who God chose to be one of his children. <laughs> and, 
but if one is really honest, I mean, we talk about this, you know, why can you see that? Why can I see that? And uh, and knowing how a fallen humanity is cannot be because of our own doing that something must, I mean, certainly <clears throat> we do, but what motivate us to do, to do this, to get to the point where we recognize and probably recognized almost from the get-go, but then had to go through this whole process to just confirm what we already recognized. What gave us that recognition, uh, that instinct, or that ability to see truth, to see through the lie, when somebody right next to you cannot do that? And certainly we're not better than anybody else, so how did that happen? You ever thought about that? Yeah, I think we we discussed it. I mean... It's the way lies get promulgated and eventually sewn into the fabric of a particular spiritual belief as if it's part of the canon, whatever that should mean. And that's what that cracks me up, too, because I get told by this other principle in my life, well, you know, I'm not a really good reader. I'm better listening. It's like, no, maybe you should read. You know, maybe you should sit down and read. And I'm only saying this for myself because, as we said at the outset of, of uh, our time together, uh, you can't treat the Bible like it's uh, Reader's Digest. And you got to put yourself in a place to be ministered to. This goes for me also, believe me. There's times I sit and I read and I find myself daydreaming and I stop and go, what's that about? What's that about? I can't yeah. through this like it's a recipe. Get your head back into this and I have to admonish myself. But that's part of the delusion too. It's always working. Just like you said, it's out there. And it's like rust, man. It never sleeps. I get it. But we have the tools as an antidote, if that's not a mixed metaphor, to keep ourselves from that kind of defilement. And it does work. So the thing is, yes, you know, I, I, I write, you know, every so often Gordon and I exchange emails and it's like, you know, it's lonely out here. Not that we're special. I'm not saying we're special. I'm not saying that we have, you know, superior intellect. That's certainly not the case. But it's just wanting the truth, you know, like the Robinson Jeffers poem, you know, the cold passion of a truth hunts in no pack. He knew. Mm -hmm. He understood the flesh. I doubt that he was a Christian, but he did hit the human predicament right on the head in a brief but, to me, heavily impacting poem, free verse. And, I, I mean... Shards of that you can find all over the internet. You know, I mean, people use some of those those lines because they are so true. You know, let let the servile serve a leader, and let the dukes be duped. Okay, I get that. The gang serves lies. That's true. So that's <laughs> it. And so, you know, I know you were asked this probably rhetorically, but even though the ocean's deep and scary, we do have a life preserve that's not going to fail us until our time here is over. I want to tell you another thing, too, but let me just share this with you really quick. I mean, I'm not as hale and hearty as I was 20 years ago. There were a lot of things that I didn't worry about because I figured I could kick somebody's ass or, or resist anything. That's not the case right. anymore if it ever were the case. Now I realize, like, that story about, you know, as a baby, you go from two legs um, to three legs. What was that? You know, something like that. And in your life... <laughs> At the end, you go down to three legs to two legs because that's the way it goes, man. That's that's life. Mm -hmm. So, I'm, you know, I'm not that anymore. So what do I have to find myself doing? 
like really, really, really rely on the Lord, not just talking about it and taking care of things my own physical way? No. And it's scary, yeah. but it's a lesson I need to learn before I depart, you know, this life and, and before I shuffle off this mortal coil. Um, so I, I'm just going to tell you this, Michael. I mean, not that you have to get there to understand it, but, I mean, I consider myself, you know, pretty much a hale and hearty person who could take care of most situations. I'm not that anymore, you know, and good for me because now I finally find myself on my knees the way it should be before him saying, I can't do it, and I know you've been waiting for me to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's cool because that's how I feel. I'm right at the same place. You know what I mean? I look at all that God needed to do to re, to reduce me down to a point to be in a humble enough position to accept Him and to follow Him. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, yesterday, this if you ever get a chance, uh, and I know you're busy and you probably don't listen to my shows, but if there's a chance, you get a chance listen to the Roman. Roman series and this uh, dialogue that I'm having with Larry Phillips. I think you'll really get a lot out of it. I think if if you like what he's saying, I'll introduce you to him. Uh, a real blessing. He's another one of those gentlemen that's coming to my life like you or teaching me things and waking me up. He's really good at this. So we're, we're reading the book of Romans. And one of the things as we're doing this is we're slowing it down big time. Because we're on such a hectic pace hurry 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 get, go 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 let's hurry up and get this even like reading the scriptures you know because we're, of what we've been accustomed to through public school system and just reading in general that we we just blaze through the book right and with the word of God you can't do that you really have to slow it down and you have to savor like they say every word and, and I try to understand what you're reading Instead of assuming what you understand or, you know, having this attitude, well, as long as I get the big picture, because each sentence and each verse and each uh, chapter has some really important stuff to share. So we're reading Rome, Romans, and it's a, it's a profound realization of how we're actually supposed to read the Word of God, and that is to literally slow it down. And it is to also do what we're doing right here, Keith. And I believe this is what the church was supposed to be all about. It was never supposed to be about some guy with a degree and who's, who's you know, that's called a pastor or a priest, blurting a, a message out to you for an hour, uh, revolving around Scripture, but that we were supposed to have, you know, a couple of these, he says, when two or more of you get together, and they all be right. Well, he didn't say when you when a hundred more of you are there. In order for a man to truly grow, and and actually even have a meaningful relationship with other uh, men in, in, in his life, there's only one way to do that. Uh, the world tells us it's through sports or it's through. Uh, entertainment or games or that kind of thing. And I understand there's nothing wrong with sports or games, but it's not the same thing when two men get together, slow it down and read the scriptures together and just talk about it. It's an amazing experience. And what has happened in this world is because with these men building their little kingdoms of God on earth, 
in this. So you just drive around your neighborhood, drive around your community, and when you see that church with the steeple, that's what I'm talking about, that little kingdom of God on earth, that he is only serving himself and his own ego. He thinks he's doing God's will. He wants to believe he's doing God's will. But in a day, all he's doing is his own will. But when a man slows down and reads the scriptures, and when they, he talks to somebody else who's really interested in reading the scripture, there's something amazing that happens. And um, there's something, a, revel, a, revel, a revelation that just has come to me recently in the past month. And I would say that the best thing that I've gotten out of this doing this show, of all the things that I've learned and all the people I've met and the friendships I've made and information I've gleaned, the actual reading of the scriptures and what it actually means to do that, and that is uh, to really slow down and don't try to conquer, don't, don't be some, have some kind of ego trip and go from cover to cover and say, I did it. But just actually like read like the book of Romans and just stop and try to really and say, what is he saying here? Or whatever it may be. Uh, be willing to backtrack and really understand. And uh, if you have someone you can talk to along with that, there's something amazing happens. I really believe that's what the Spirit of God starts to indwell with a man, starts to realize. I think the Spirit of God actually makes that happen too. But I hate to sound so preachy, but you know, I get to this point, I, this is it, this is the answer. And I don't think there is any solution worldly to any of this stuff. And the more and more we get to this point, <clears throat> we just realize the best thing to do is to learn to let go of all this. All those things that you and I are so interested in, you know what I mean? I'm not saying the sports and all that, or your games or whatever. I'm talking about the world. Let's think of an example. The, the election this year, or what's going on in Bundy Ranch. Uh, you know, I have, I have spent... I don't think more than five minutes altogether on both subjects in the past month. And, you know, both matters, the election are still going on regardless, no control of it. What's going on in Bundy, whether it's a uh, psychops or where the government's behind it, or they have uh, <clears throat> crisis actors there, actors there or whatever, it, nothing I can do about it. Nothing. And it's going to happen anyways. I can't stop it. It's like entertainment, isn't it? It's like entrapment. And what I find interesting about what's going on with the world around us with these distractions and being entertained is really this, what Satan is after is to entrap us and keep us from reading the Word of God. And uh, I can't believe I'm saying that. A guy a few years ago was a man of the world. <laughs> but it's self-evident. It's not because Mike's a brilliant guy or because he's some religious guy. It's just self-evident at this point that this is, from my experience, what I've seen around me, that this is the answer. I find that bizarre. I find it bizarre that I'm saying that. So, But it's true. I'm speaking truth. <laughs> you said it before, too, about talking about depressing things. But, you know, and again... Reality is, for the most part, kind of depressing. The truth is kind of depressing. I mean, when you really get down to it. But that's the way it's been forever. And so you got to get outside that. 
And this only can work unless you believe that there is a Lord, um, there is a Jesus Christ. The Bible is true. That's all I can say. If, if you're not cool with that, that's fine. You know, go and do what you want to do. I mean, I spent, how what, 65 years, well, not that long, uh, encountering all kinds of, like, psychobabble and new age this and, and try that and do this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because it wouldn't, I mean, the, the biggest thing I have to laugh at are diet books. They don't work. How do you know? Because they keep coming out with new ones, like 20 by the year. It don't work. It doesn't work. The whole premise is flawed. So anyway, that's the human condition. It hurts to get out. You know, Plato, for being the status, status, excuse me, the status that he was, believing that the children should be taken from their homes and raised out into the countryside by the philosopher kings, he was an elitist without a doubt. But his metaphorical story about the cave is true. People like sitting in the cave and looking at the images and the shadows of what is real. And when you pull them out of there, they will cut your throat to stop that from happening, to show them what's really out there in the sunlight. And I don't think you can get past that. It doesn't have to be, in, you know, in a book in scripture. Plato said it, and he's right. You know, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, newborn eyes always cry with pain. First look at the morning sun. But after that, it's okay. You get used to it. You know what's going on. People don't want bad news. They want the, they want their ears tickled. They want to be told what they want to be told. And that's right across the board no matter what. It's in the Christian church. It's everywhere. Just tell me something that makes me feel good, and there's no shortage of people to do that. I don't like being a merchant, if you will, a uh, – conveyor of uh, some bad tidings, but it doesn't come without a great solution. However, most don't want that back-end solution, and so here we are. So it's yeah. been this way forever, and it will be this way until the very end. But the news is still the same, and that is there is victory. It doesn't necessarily happen on this earth, but there is victory, and it's, guess what, forever. All right, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, come on. I mean, who wants to? Did you want to? Who wants to live forever here? And the pain and the aches and sufferings and all the things that are going on. You know, there has to be something. There has to be something better than this. You know what I mean? There has to be a purpose for it all. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean you're right, and, and I'm going to tell you firsthand. You know, I was athletic. I played pro ball. Um, I continue to play very physical for a very long time. And that went up to about the age of 50, which is probably, I mean, which I think is pretty impressive to a certain extent, you know, but the point is now I'm paying the price. So when pains come, they aren't just like the way I used to treat it when I was 30. I'm wondering, oh. is this the big one? Yeah, I <laughs> you do. Know? I, I do. <laughs> All right. And my point is, is that, do you know what I'm thinking about? I mean, what I get harried about, is trying to get myself presentable for the big interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Catch my drift? I do. And it's making me to think about that, about how people are and how we are and how we're uh, in our fallen state, how, how people are so complacent and so willing to follow the CEO of the corporation that they work for, the boss, 
all and do just about anything that, that that man actually says, and how few of us even have belief in God, let alone want to follow Him. And I think you're absolutely right. You get to a point uh, in life where as God teaches you and humbles you, you realize, okay, you know what Lee Iacocca says doesn't really matter. It's what Jesus says. Where am I going to go here? I mean, if I keep going down the road and following another Lee Iacocca, is it just going to be, it's just going to be a dead end and an empty road? It's just going to be more of the same old. Do I want more of the same old? No. You promised me eternal life. You, you promised me a comforter and, and peace in my heart and uh, some joy and, and real purpose in my life. And, uh, and well, then, why not follow him? So I think really a lot of times, especially, you know, <clears throat> let's face it. I mean, we're, I'm not, obviously I have kind of a big ego if I thought that I was even worthy of even doing the show. And uh, so, you know, we're a type of guys that are a little hard-headed and a little bit struggled, maybe a little bit with our self-centeredness and uh, our own wants. And so I think God is, and his amazing patience on who teaches us and allows us to go through all these, you know, the, the gauntlet, if you will, of dead ends until we get to this point and say, okay, I'm thoroughly convinced now, I don't just kind of believe I'm convinced. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not joining a group because my wife said so or because I was looking for that that, that cute girl or, or what other people say. Uh, I'm thoroughly convinced. Here I am. Um, it is an amazing process, isn't it? Well, I tell you, it is an amazing process, and it cannot be wrought just by our own desire to, to be this way, because no one desires to, yes. you know, to chase after God. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I don't know. Well, I just guess, brief. well Go ahead. Let, let me just share this with you. Okay, I'll cut to the chase. Um, 1980. I just gotten done uh, as an assistant coach at Iowa State, and I was kind of conflicted as to what I was going to do because I had a foot in one world, which was writing, and another foot very heavily in athletics. Um, I had left the East to go out into the Midwest, and I just I was looking for the next step, and I wanted to tell myself I had the impetus to go to the next thing, but I really know I didn't. Bottom line is this is how it all worked out. Um, I was hitchhiking from Detroit back to uh, New York. Ah. And I made a fatal mistake of uh, jabbering too much with my ride. And instead of taking I-80, there's a fork in Ohio, I think, as you're well aware, that you either go to uh, I-80 or you go down to the uh, <clears throat> turnpike, right? Yeah. Or it's taking 76, or, I guess uh, it is. 75, 475, you can take that. Four, or 420, 423, 423, probably what you would. 23. Well, what right. happened was, instead of staying on 80, I realized that I should have gotten off on that, and then I got stuck on this other road that would lead to the Pennsylvania Turnpike. So this is bad news. So I got out, and I hitchhiked on 19 up through Youngstown. Oh. 
and I got on 80, but I realized if I don't get a ride through through Pennsylvania at night, I'm screwed. And screwed I was. <laughs> so this is now November 1980, and it's getting a little cold. And I took whatever rides I could get, but here I am in the middle of Pennsylvania, pitch black and I-80, nobody coming, and I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I go off on a ramp, and I go to sleep behind an abandoned gas station on his bed of tires. (laughs) And I look up at the sky, and it is absolutely littered with stars, and it's just an amazing sight. You know how things are when there's no other lights around, you can see everything? Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, <laughs> here I am, an infinite nothing in the universe as I look up at all these stars. And I said I had this one stupid, measly life, which I have uh, managed very badly. <laughs> and I think you got me to a point where you wanted to talk to me behind this abandoned gas station while I'm laying on a bed of you know, tires. <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what. I know I know you've been hound dogging me and I've been, you know, kinda reluctant to give in. But I know you're there and I know I'm messing up my stupid little life. Then comes the great deal. The big the big deal. Okay, so I said, Well, if Lord <laughs> you would get me a ride to my native New Jersey just across the river from Manhattan, I'll give myself up and I'll give my life to you. So uh, I made that bargain. I tried to sleep. I couldn't do it. I said, all right, look, this is crazy. Let me go back on 80. And I mean, I'll just keep walking to keep warm, uh, you know, until somebody picks me up. That's all I can do, you know, and it probably won't happen until after dawn, but there I go. I'm not kidding you. This, I mean, People say, oh, well, that was a coincidence. I'm saying, yeah, you tell me if your coincidence like this. I go back on the 80, and I start hitchhiking, and the trucks are balling by. They're not stopping. Uh-huh. You know, everybody's zooming by. They can't even see me. I got a brown bomber jacket on. I mean, I'm like invisible until the last 30 feet, you know. So I said, ah, screw it. I said, I got to walk a while, you know. And I go walking, and all of a sudden I hear some brakes. And I hear the brakes on this, you know, on this scree, this dust and ash right before the, you know, right next to the guardrail, right off the roadway. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to get killed. And I turn around, his car stops. And I wasn't even hitching at this time. And I walk over to the door, the guy rolls the window down, he goes, uh, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Jersey. He says, where in Jersey? I said, well, Teaneck. He goes, well, I'm going to Hoboken, which is like eight miles away. <laughs> and the poor guy goes to me, he goes, well, do you have any guns and knives on you? And I'm like, sir, no. I said, I just want to go home. He says, get in. <laughs> right? We get right. in. He starts falling asleep at the wheel. So I'm thinking, okay, Lord, I get this. You got me to ride, but you're going to kill me in this car. <laughs> and finally, I said to the guy, look, I understand it's a rental, and I understand I'm not on the contract, but we got two choices here. Well, actually, three. We can just go off and sleep. You can continue to ride and kill us both, or you can give me the wheel because I'm wide awake. And, I'm, you know, we're just going on 80 to New Jersey. He lets me right. drive. I drove right up to my doorstep. He got out. He got back in. We, you know, said thank you, exchanged names, and off he went to Hoboken. And there I was. Now, do you think that's a coincidence? No, I don't. 
Right. No, not at all. So I'm just going to say that to you. The reason I say this is because and it, there was another incident I'm not going to go through here. Um, I think I was blessed and very special in the sense of that the Lord showed himself to me. I have no way in the world that I could ever say he does not exist. It is not possible. Right? I make a deal with the Lord. I get on a highway, and I spend maybe a half an hour, and I get a ride home. Um, no. People say that's a coincidence. I get it, you know. But you tell me about some of yours. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so that's it. I mean, so, you know, the high and mighty was laid low, and I had it coming. You know, and even after that, though, here's what I'm, you know, sorry to say, but, I mean, after I was saved, I got into a, a, a protracted period of being a nasty son of a bitch. Sure. Some say I still am. But um, eventually, you know, I mean, I just – the Holy Spirit, the hound dog of heaven, never leaves you alone, and it should not. And I understood. But now I'm at a time when there's not too much time from this period onward, certainly a whole lot less than it was from behind me. And I just feel fortunate in that sense that you know, I've come to a point where a second time in my life, I really need him. There shouldn't have been that that second time, but there was. And, you know... So that's, that's all I can tell you. I, I watch everybody chase after all this stuff, you know, all these things about the Constitution and all this crap. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. And that's why I said to you earlier about getting the noise out of one's life, appreciating quiet time and just, you know, meditating, hopefully on the word, but, you know, putting yourself in a state where you're just like clearing everything out isn't so bad either. So there you go, Michael. I mean, you know, how, but my point is, how can I ever say he doesn't exist? How? I mean, there was a second thing after this, and there were the only two, but it doesn't matter. That's all. I mean, I have no excuse to not believe that he's there. None at all. I was privileged, but you also had to be good to that privilege, and I wasn't necessarily that way for a period of time. But I, I feel great because... No one's going to tell me he's not there. Not at all. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But and not by our not own grace. works, not by our own works, lest any man boast. And I think that's really comes down to his realization that he chose you, Keith. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And once he chooses you, like he says, that's it. He doesn't kind of like, uh, well, eh, I'll let him go now. I don't really know. I don't really know. I don't want Keith anymore. <laughs> he chooses you. He's God. You're his. You didn't even have a choice, Keith. <laughs> and praise the Lord for that. Don't you think? <laughs> it wasn't our choice. And even though we go we go kicking and screaming, he's there. We need to, well, people will yeah. take that as, well, you know, he's already decided if you're doomed or not. And, you know, I, I get all that. But here's all I want to say to address that point. He knows exactly what will happen. He knows who will do what. Um, I also believe, Scripture I think bears out, that he can bail himself from knowing things at a certain time. I mean, he is what he is, and we cannot fathom him. We are the pot, not the potter. Correct. And so all I can say is, is that you don't know what the deal is. He does. That may support, and I believe it does, election or whatever, but you don't know. And so, 
you know, you go through life, and these are the things that occur. Um, so, I mean, you think you're making a choice. I guess you're supposed to. But all I can say is that, well, I know I've, I've probably complicated the matter, but the point is is that. No, you haven't complicated the matter on. Everything you said so far, I'm in agreement. So, and, uh, you know, as far as. I guess making the choice, you know, he's nudging you along. He's going to make sure you make the choice. You're not getting out of it. So. <laughs> he, he loves knows, he loves you from know. the. Now we don't know. He's the we one that knows. Know. We, we can't we can't play okay. we can't play God. We can't play God or act like we are in His position. All we can do is recognize who we are. So that is we are his, we are the clay. He he is the potter, right? So. Well, some will say, well, you know, what about, we're talking about the Native Americans who were, who were looking for perhaps Jesus Christ. I mean, and what happened? Uh, are they doomed? I mean, we don't know. If there's a promise, and I believe it's in Romans, that all will have no excuse. Mm-hmm. That all will know by the things that are what, seen and unseen? I mean, you know, I think back to like, you know, well, the rocks will cry out for me. So I mean, I just—that's just it. I mean, it... well, one one of the interesting thing about election, and I'm not saying this is the gospel truth or not, but it's just something I've been thinking about, and that is, if you're elected from the, you know, from the beginning, even before you're even on this earth, um, that and that doesn't that that means even if you. Basically, it's a way of looking at it is that you're elected already, you're chosen. It has nothing to do. It has nothing to do with whether you accept Jesus or do anything. You've already elected. You're already chosen. So even if you're a man who's basically a reprobate and does everything that's contrary to God, if you're still elect, you're still elect. There's examples in the Bible of that. So it makes them, I'm not saying this is gospel truth. It's just on this thinking about it and bring you know bringing it out there um we look at these native americans and all these people that who okay they never heard the gospel they never had a chance to hear the gospel if there's election and it's you're already there's a predestiny and then the predestination that you've already been chosen from the beginning it might be that many of the people who were killed who never even heard of jesus christ are still his I mean, he died for all of his, and you know, he's not going to lose any of them. And there's nothing we can do to be or to earn that. So it's something to think about. I, a lot of people say that's blasphemy, what I just said, but I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying it's gospel truth, but if God is, if Jesus is God, and he said he will not lose any of his, then it means he won't lose any of his. And there's absolutely nothing you and I could do about it. Or if some guy that from 2,000 years ago that was running around and or, you know, 1,500 years ago in uh, Central America. Never even heard of him out in the forest. But he knew of God. He, he knew there was a creator. He could recognize it all. And uh, so, I don't know. What do you think? I can't I can't definitively say that's the truth or not. But if he says you're, you're chosen from the very beginning, you're the elect, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And there's nothing you you didn't earn your salvation. I didn't earn my salvation. That means those people didn't earn their salvation. 
And to say that because you need, when you need to confess Jesus Christ, you need to do works, and it, that's going contrary to what he's saying, he's, isn't it? That you're trying to earn your salvation, something you can't even earn. It's a free gift. We don't. Uh, it's an interesting question, isn't it? It's something to think about. A lot of people find what I just brought up blasphemy, but why not think about it? Why not ask that question? Not fathom the mind of God. It is impossible. Mm-hmm. So if we sit here and stumble over things, it's because we are finite very much in our uh, intelligence and, unfortunately, spirituality. Right. Uh, every person has their own individual package, seems to either accept or reject or play around with the knowledge of the Lord and Jesus Christ as we know. So it doesn't matter what the Lord knows. Everyone, in a sense, thinks that he or she uh, is making that decision. And in a sense, you are, but it's it's the old story about it. It either falls on fertile ground or the seed falls on fertile ground or it doesn't. So I don't know. I don't have all the answers. It's not a cheap excuse to get out of things that we can't explain to others. Your mm-hmm. heart is either there or it's not there, and that's just the way it goes. I mean, you know, I resisted for 30 years. If I had lost my life before that 30th year, where would I be? I can't answer that. It's impossible to answer because it didn't happen. And in the Lord's scheme, it could not have happened because he knows all. It's really into like, you know, some metaphysical stuff that I I don't think any of us are really equipped to continue with. But it's a hard situation that's bona fide and it, you know, it's there or it's not there. All I can say um, I like to think it's because my parents did give me an upbringing in the church. Uh, it didn't work out too well, but something was there. I don't know, you know, what the, the pivotal points were along the line, but I will say this: that in that moment, you know, in that by that gas station in Pennsylvania, I mean, I kind of thought I was making a choice, and whether I was or not, it was certainly supported within a half an hour, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> You know, and and even after that, though, you know, I, I, I rebelled. You know, now I'm back in the fold, but I mean, heck, isn't that, I mean, that's just a pragmatic decision. And I don't, you know, I, I, I try to go to him and say, look, I want to do this because it's not fear of you or fear of dying. But if it is, is that also, is that not right? I mean, I just wish I had the capacity to understand love for the Father, which I think I don't have. I don't think any of us can. I don't think any of us can do it. That's why we had to have a savior. We can't do it. But so you know, here we are. That's that's why. Yeah, there you know. I mean, that's what it comes down to. You know, none of us can do it. You know, and that's why he chose us, and that's why he saved us. Because he loved us. We can't. How can we possibly? You know, it's, you know, it's fascinating, you know, the, the law and all that. You know, I've been investigating all this stuff and, like, uh, the, the Lunar Sabbath and having people on there. Like, and just looking at this whole thing, and and it's just absolutely fascinating to me and self-evident at this point that we get, we don't know how to. We don't have the capacity to love God with our heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Um, although it's a commandment. 
if one is honest about it, I, you know, I have how many times I pray to God and said, God, I don't know how to do this. I know it says this in scripture, but I can't do it. And I don't know anybody else can do it. So how do we love you? And, and he made it very simple. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, and we believe him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's it. What? That's it? That's too simple. I know. That's what the problem is, isn't it? <laughs> Even that we can't accept. And uh, because of our fallen state, the prideful of our nature, the pride of our nature, uh, and this the fact that, you I mean, that's all it is. That's it. Just believe what Jesus did. Heck no, that can't happen. That's just too stupid. That's just too simple. That's too, that sounds absurd. I mean, you know, you go through this whole thing that you go through, and you finally say, well, thank goodness it was that simple. <laughs> because I can't do anything. <laughs> I can't earn my salvation. I can't even fix my own darn problems, let alone salvation. So, and you know, what amazing gift of grace that is. And, you know, when you finally accept that, there's a lot of great peace that comes in your life. Now, I've been having a lot of people in uh, my show that see things differently than I do. And I don't know why, but it just seems to be the necessary thing. And I think part of it is, is the fact that um, God's, you know, teaching me and convincing me, convicting me of this simple truth that Jesus came to save his, his elect, his chosen. And, regard, and you go back to where you say, well, that doesn't make, you know, we don't think that we're not special, we're not any more different or special than anybody else. Uh, we're not superior than the person next to us, physically, uh, mentally. Um, but the fact of the matter is, God is God, he's sovereign, and I think part of this is to demonstrate the fact that he is God, he's sovereign, and regardless of whether we find this just or not, it really makes no difference. He's God. So he will choose who he will elect, and he will choose who he won't. He's God. And it might seem unfair to us, because of our own limited understanding, um, I think it's all part of this lesson to teach us that there is a God. He's sovereign. We're not. He's in control. He's the boss. He will make the decisions. And uh, I think that's an amazing thing to come to realize that how powerful he is and how uh, he is absolute. And how... So, you know what I mean? So, even wrath. He's, he's God of wrath. Clearly, he allowed World War II, World War One to happen, and the Vietnam War, and all these other things. You know, why does he do that? Why does he allow someone just down the street, you know, that could stop it all? I guess Maybe he just doesn't. I don't know. It's, and I don't know. Is, it, is, is that very satisfactory, Keith, to say something like that? But it's the truth, right? I mean, is it not the truth? And then he's sovereign. He's God. He'll choose. He will decide. And it's not your. It's not really yours or, or mine. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's our right to make that decision. He will make that decision. 
I mean, I'm, I'm the sum of what I've experienced. Bottom line is I have no excuse to say he does not live. Mm-hmm. And I mean, because of that, I mean, I, I've, I've fought against, I've tried to beat my head and my fist against the NWO. But in the end, all he ever asked was that we feed his sheep. That's all he asks, uh, because what will be will be. Uh, this is Satan's playground, and that's all there is to it. All I can say is that, you know, I mean, from what I've experienced, fortunate at least to understand the way things are. That is not going to be satisfactory with 99.9%, you know, of the of the world's population. Uh, never will be, never has been. So. Yeah. I, I, all, all I can say is that, looking back at my life, I have no, I have no question as to that truth. That's it, and that's that's how I'm going to leave this place. You know, and yet, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I sweat it. You know, I ask myself, do I really believe? But I think it's all human, and I mean, I think about the time when, uh, before the Lord was taken away. He sweat blood. Does anybody does anybody get that? Do they think that's just like a Hollywood line? Sweat blood. Yeah. And he asked that if this cup could be delivered from him, you know, that would be fine. But if not, he gutted out and gutted out he did. So at least I you know, I temper what I feel in the sense that Christ was like, hmm. See <laughs> some options here? <laughs> No, but he was obedient, and that's the point. And the reward is beyond what any of us can imagine. Or deserve. Without a doubt. You know, I, I tell you what, the other day I was driving down. I, I have to drive down these dirt roads up in Pasco County. We moved to Tampa, it stinks. So once in a while I have a P.O. box, which is an excuse for me to drive the country roads through pasture lands, and I just love it. I said to myself, what happens if I don't like heaven? What's that? I said, what happens if I don't like heaven? <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but the point I'm trying to say is that I fully believe that there's no way in the world. I mean, it was even stated in John and other places. I mean, in the, in the revelations of John that we, I can't even, be, you know, he can't even begin to tell us what it's like. So it's scary. But the point is, is that it is beyond our truly wildest and most expansive imagination. Yeah. Well, here's a, here's a different way of looking at it too, though. That's a great question. But here's it. I just propose it a different way. Who cares if I like it? Now think about this. If I'm a man, see, I you know I'm a blue collar guy, so I've had a lot of really cruddy jobs. Willing to do it for my own self-interest and for the interests of a fallen man. It was giving me some, you know, pieces of paper and some money. So what if I don't like it? Isn't that interesting? Yeah, but I think the point is really, I mean, really at the at the center of this, and the question is, I mean, the point is, is that we have no way to frame 
where we're going. What is always scary to us is something new. And that yeah. is, I mean, I, you know, I'll, I'll just say this to you. I mean, I know this may sound trite, but it, it, I think it, it is concrete. Uh, there's a commercial on the uh, sports talk uh, stations where one former running back, um, Eric Dickerson, good running back with Los Angeles. I remember him. Back in the day, man. That was back in the okay. 70s or 80s, wasn't it? 80s. Was it? Yeah, 80s. He was like, reflecting really. upon Walter mm. Payton, who was outstanding as well. And yeah, they knew yeah. each other through their career, uh, Payton being ahead of Dickerson. And Dickerson said when he stayed in touch with, with Payton, who was, who was a decent person to him during the playing days, and when Payton was struck with a terminal illness, uh, Dickerson said, I said to him, are you scared? And um, Dickerson relates to Peyton and said, yeah, I'm scared. I never died before. And so that's really what, I mean, that just hit me, of course, even now at this stage. I mean, I thought I'd try to be morose, but that's what you're coming to. I mean, the trip's got to end sooner or later, and I know I'm that much closer to it. And the point is, yeah, I'm scared. I never died before. So, you know. That's the realism, and so the idea about me thinking for that second or two, well, I like that. I, you know, I kind of like that. <laughs> we have, our sensibilities will be completely different. There'll be no recollection of this time here, honestly. I don't see where it says in Scripture that you'll remember a thing about this because there'll be no tears in heaven. Why in the world would you reflect back after at least the, the white throne judgment you know, about anything that happened here? Forget it. It's over with, gone. We'll never know about this stuff. So, I mean, there's no way in the world we can conceive that. And that's all I, I meant to say in that. And that is, because, I mean, as I'm driving, I, you know, I gave myself a, a flat palm to the head, like, gee, what are you, jerk? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just being honest. But it just shows the disconnect because this next, this next veil we cross, we have no idea, none whatsoever. And isn't that the truth at the end of the day? And I think what <clears throat> having some abiding faith in Christ and His Spirit in you, I eventually, I think it allows a man. Well, at least I'm looking at myself. I mean, I'm younger than you, but I have health issues. I used to go through all sorts of things on a, a daily and weekly basis, and there's been many times. And in the past couple of years, is this the end? <laughs> you know, because it feels like it. You know what I mean? <laughs> It's just like I'm half dead half, uh, half the time. So, um, and I don't know. I think it's come to you know, coming to know the Lord has given me peace uh, and acceptance that whatever is on the other side, it's His will. And if I got through this part, I get through the next, whatever it is. Um, you know what I mean? So if He wants me to, it's just. just beautiful place and it's wonderful and all these amazing things or if he wants me to go somewhere and and pick you know grass with my fingers for all eternity that's it <laughs> you know that's why i see it it's just resignation that i'm he's god i mean i'm not saying that's what's going to happen i just uh i think you get to a right resignation that you realize that he is god and that he it's his will and he'll do what he wants you know what i mean and uh, why, why sweat about it? <laughs> Go through all this. You know, you've been doing this for 60-some years. I've been doing it for almost 50 years. I'm 48. Uh, 
Who cares? And the end of the day, I just, I'm just, I would just, it'd be really cool just to see my God or witness more of his greatness. That'd be cool. Well, that's more than I deserve. That's for certain. That's, for, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, for me, it's interesting and it ties this all up that what brought me back into the fold was going through this conspiracy stuff, which I began more or less uh, lightly in 2000, and then it progressively got more intense. But at some point during the line, I realized that what I was looking at with regard to what everybody calls the New World Order, et cetera, et cetera, was very much uh, supported uh, with what is in Scripture. And then, you know, it may not seem like a big aha to others, but that's when I said, fool, don't you realize that the NWO, as we know him, as we know him in the secular world, is Satan in, in the spiritual world, and it's one and the same. And that's when I realized uh, that the Bible is true. I'm not saying that everyone has to capitulate and, and just – it's not about that. The point is, is that I strove to try to change things, and you can't. It's like it's just like pounding on the, the Hoover Dam. You're not going to do anything. Yep. This thing is way out of hand. You don't have to submit to it, but the way to defeat it is to share that there is something that gives us all hope for a better day. It may not be on this planet, but there's a better day coming. Um, and so, no, I mean, there may come a time when our lives will be required by objecting to whatever the NWO uh, imposes upon us after it becomes very clear that all the governments in the world have uh, have been corrupt and have given themselves over. Yeah. You know, so I'm not saying lay down and take it like a baby. I'm saying understand you can you can speak the truth, but the only way out is up, as you've heard us say, and to share people that there legitimately is a way out, and it's an eternal way. Uh, that is the answer. Because if you want to if you want to fist fight, forget it, man. It's just I mean, I'm all for a, a good fight, but when it's a stack deal as it is with with Satan, uh, you probably don't want to box with him. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I think you're going to lose big time. No, and the Patriots don't think if you have guns like you can do this. I mean, I'm, I'm, look, man, no, it's not going to happen. It, it isn't pragmatic, even in just the secular world. <clears throat> in the spiritual world, is it impossible? Yeah, the more you think about it, you realize how dire your circumstances are. Let's forget about we. Let's think about you or or I, the individual, how dire our circumstances are. How uh, the enemy really just, like many times in the Old Testament shares, uh, is surrounding us. And there's really nothing... There's no hope but Jesus Christ and, and having faith in Him, and, and surrendering to God and praying to God and submitting to Him because, well, there is no other. There's nowhere to go. You know, even if you did everything right, politically, uh, legally, and you just sever all the bondage of this Romanist system, you're still surrounded. Whether spiritually or physically, you're still, you know, you're you're still uh, 
know what they're just <laughs> you're surrounded. You're, you're in a hopeless situation. So I, I find it once again very interesting that you learn all these things only to the ultimate answer uh, to all this is how hopeless your situation is. And um, you know, I want to think about like guys like I I man or the informer. Did he ever get to that point? Did he finally realize? How, how petty and hopeless the whole situation was. His fighting, he was fighting for the wrong cause type of thing. Or not necessarily fighting for the wrong cause, but, you know, it's, and obviously it was necessary what he did to help paint the picture, a clearer picture of our reality. <clears throat> but I wonder if he, did he did he come to the Lord? Did he, does he know? Well, he about? claimed he knew the Lord, and I, I believe he did. Having said that, it doesn't jive with the way that he spoke to people in his books about standing up to whatever you're supposed to stand up to because there is really no standing up to it. But it didn't kind of support what he felt. And I remember um, Montgomery, with whom he was well acquainted, and they were like co-researchers, and they both did great jobs. But... um, there were some things that kind of bothered me, and I had just said to Montgomery once, I said, you know, this strikes me a little strange, and Montgomery said to me, because my views are not necessarily the same as, as Al's. Or, uh-huh. And I said, okay. I mean, no, I mean, I wasn't a condemnation, but I, I, I never spoke again about it to Montgomery, nor did I ever speak to him at all, and through emails, we never broached this again. I think that I can understand why the informer wanted, you know, he wanted to beat this back. There's no two ways about it. He was bitter about it. I think that's very clear. But that's not the case. I mean, you know, I, I still get letters, emails from people who want to be sovereign citizens and they want to, you know, uh, disavow their citizenship. And it's like, for what? I mean, you're not going to be free on this planet. You know, forget no. all that other stuff. You're not going to be free on this planet. You're on this planet. You're not going to be free until the day, again, that your soul, you know, is is detached from your body. So forget that you're not getting any kind of indemnity at all. You may think you are, but you're not. You know, I mean, forget it. I mean, the governments will do, the military will do what it does. But you're not going to escape anything. Why even anybody still gets out of the income tax seems more a case of nobody, you know, the IRS doesn't want to go after him because there's a lot of people who claim victory and later on get, get caught up with, and they're like, okay, you owe us for the last six years. You know, and that's, those stories don't get out there. To me, the informer's valuable, most valuable asset was he confirmed in what I suspected, and he confirmed it very supportably with reality and documentation that this country is a scam just like all countries are. We've had it better than others for obvious reasons, uh, but it's still a corporation that doesn't really care for us. So that's all I needed to know, that that the federal judiciary was obviously pitched against us, and that even in in a corporate sense or a legal sense, uh, this country is adversarial to us despite whatever it says you know, it is, in the end, it 
needs to be fed, and it, like you know, the little shop of horrors, it's gonna, you know, it'll, it needs to feed on us to sustain itself, and it will do that. And it's becoming more and more apparent now, I think, to more people who don't get it, that there's something really not right about this whole system. And of course, there isn't, but it's becoming more corrupt. And the hope is that nobody really will catch on. But even if they do, what would, what would the point be? You know, are 200 million people going to go out in the streets and protest? Of course not. So anyway, to answer you about the informer, work is priceless. His research is excellent. He's a human being, and given his circumstances, I believe that he was really rough on people uh, with regard to saying, uh, you know, you're a slave. You can get out of this. No, you can't get out of this. I'm telling you right now. And I don't know, Michael, if I said this to you or not, but can we understand something, too? And that is Mary and Joseph were on the road for a census, right? I don't know. We talked about this when yeah, Jesus yeah. was born. The census was the backbone of, guess what, paying taxes. So the baby Christ was in the, in the bosom of a couple who were paying taxes. It's been like this forever because of Satan owning the government. But don't tell me you're free here. And that's the other thing about with I man, it's like, well, you're free of natural rights. What free of natural rights? On this earth? No. You know? <laughs> no, I, I mean, that, I'm sorry. You're not going to expunge yourself from the idiocy because they're going to catch you one way or another. If you can buy time, if you can, you know, lay low, I, I guess okay. And I'm not ridiculing I man whatsoever. I mean, it was, it was extremely important in my life. But you don't, you don't get the keys to the kingdom, man, here. You didn't get the get out of jail free card here. So, yeah, and I, I didn't watch it to ridicule him either. I, I respect well, it too. No, his no, but I, mean, I just, uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's just reinforcing the obvious at this point that there is uh, no other way but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Period. Out of this mess that we're in. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I, but let me be just about this too because he never conflicted that. It was just that it seemed it was acceptable that you could get a political solution to get out of this um, that he did or did not, depending on what you consider getting out of the system. He was never an affront to the Lord in that sense. I just think that he had uh, an anger in him, probably you know, well-deserved from what he went through in his earlier days. I mean, to be really honest about it, but you know, when I look back at it, this bit about being a natural person and asserting your rights is going to get you kicked in the teeth. I mean, it just is. Um, so I do believe he was sold out to Jesus Christ. I just think that he had an edge to him, and, you know, who doesn't in a sense. So I just want to clarify that because he was really important to me, and yet I could not go along with what he thought the solutions were to get yourself free when I consider a planet from which you cannot get free. <laughs> Right, absolutely. I I have a suggestion that I want to make to you, and you can certainly say no, or you can think about it for a while, whatever. But I'm doing this little series with uh, uh, Larry Phillips, and uh, I'd like to, to email you uh, the shows there and have you listen to it. If you're digging what you're hearing, I'd like to have you join us and have a uh, uh, made like a reading out of the scriptures and talk. And uh, he's about the same age as you. He likes, sounds like, it seems like he likes the same music as you. And, uh, yeah, what very music do I like? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying. There are a lot of the 50s and 60s music that you know. And oh, so, well, art music? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Unfortunately, I was raised in the 80s, so yeah. I, I know. I, so. <laughs> By the way, I don't like any of that music today, so I never saw so very important. Uh, I was listening to those two songs you, you sent today were like brilliant. I'm like, you know, my, my generation, we didn't write any songs like that. It was all just prepackaged, formulated, overproduced crud is what it was. <clears throat> Well, no. remember something. Neither one of those songs hit top forty, so they're not, you know, because they're not formula. Uh, you could argue that Redbone was because they packaged it in like a three-minute thing, but Redbone, you know, dedicated itself to Native American uh, situations, and the only song they ever got on the charts was "Come and Get Your Love" in like what 1974. Uh, <laughs> but there are songs they did with regard to the Native American situation, which is like Wovoka, uh, which I, of course, completely ignored back in the day. Uh, they also did one called Custer Had It Coming. At <laughs> <So, laughs> uh, any rate. If you ever do any, another series of that, well, of this one, but uh, we can certainly do that. <laughs> um, and by the way, you know, this, as far as afternoons with Fizz, if you still want to keep doing that, we don't. We can now move on to some other topic. We can. We don't have to stay focused on Native Americans, or we can keep going on it. So I can retitle and stuff. I, All right. I I'll think, tell you what. Here's, here's I don't. I don't think we need to necessarily focus so much. If next time, you know, the next part of this afternoon's with this, I'll let you decide. But as far as genocide in God's name, I think we've proven the point very well. well. <laughs> that the blending of the church and state is the reason. It's, it's apostasy. It's not of God. That the reason why we're seeing so many of the atrocities in this world is just because of that. And in the end, yes, you know, Rome is the number one culprit, but there's a lot of other culprits, a lot of other little mini gods, kingdoms of God on earth that have done just as much this damage. And that, um, you know, that's the issue. The issue is. At the end of the day, the, the problems, the hypocrisy that we see, is just that it is—it's hidden hypocrisy. They're not doing what the Word of God says, I, and they're violating God's principles. I and mean, they couldn't help it anyways, though. So there's a bunch I of did, a, I did a brief series with JQ about—he um, uh, titled it "Poetic Perplexities," and he really did a great work, which could have gone forever. I mean, it was. It, it lent itself to that, but brought characters to the fore, which I was not aware of from the colonial times. Uh, but one of the things that came out in the literature, hence there's a lot of poetry, we don't think about poetry regarding this new country. We think about documents by Patrick Henry and Alexander Hamilton, all this. But there were other things going on, and what was really interesting from a poet called the Anarchiad, it was definitely inherent in the Europeans that the Native Americans had to go. It was there. They oh, called yeah. them savages without knowing a thing about them. So that I thought was extremely interesting, what, what JQ did. And then there was the other uh, in, in, individual I interviewed, Daniel Paul, Dr. Daniel Paul, about the book We Are Not the Savages. Daniel Paul is a Mi'kmaq Indian from Canada and you know, recounted some of this stuff. But one of the things I asked him, because he said, cause we were talking about the ways that the Brits were treating the Native Americans or Native Canadians. Actually, they're all Americans. It's on the continent. 
and it was interesting just because at one time, uh, Dr. Paul, who's an ex, just a really decent man, great interview. <laughs> I said, "What in the world?" He goes, "The Brits are different." <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, and, and that's what happened. We inherited that because we are they. Now, we don't have to live that way, but we we chose to. And we took on that same mindset. And really, as they were crossing the ocean between JQ's work and Daniel Paul's work, and I think Daniel Paul's interview is out on YouTube if anybody wants to check it out. Uh, Dr. Daniel Paul and Visigoth, and it's called We Were Not the Savages. Um, but we, even with JQ, I mean, all... The, the, not all, but a lot of the poetry and literature written about the New World was get those savages out of here. So you know there it is right from the very beginning. So it was in it was for the United States especially it was already in the hopper that we were going to have to get rid of those people. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, but uh, the next one. I'll tell our, you our, our manifest destiny <laughs> was to get rid of those people and occupy it all. So, yeah, how about the 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 inhumanifest destiny? But yeah, <laughs> Satan's manifest. Uh, but I tell you what, if, if you're interested in another one of these, oh yeah, talk, anytime. Talking to uh, Gino from Crooklyn because he said I had said something that was always interesting to him, and that is looking at the Civil War as the First World War. That's a very interesting point. Yeah, there is, and I'll tell you what, boy, going through that whole thing with Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth and stuff, we have no idea the powers that lay outside this country thinking about, hmm, should we make a move? All the, all the intrigue. All the intrigue. Oh, I would I, argue that that period held the most international political intrigue, if not up <laughs> to but or through the World War One and Two. Amazing for that time, absolutely amazing, and is completely just detached from our history and our memory. Yeah, so we could do that. Sports fans, what? <laughs> we could do that. Any, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. That right. or anything else we'd like to do. So, and uh, all right. <clears throat> well, let me end this. It's just recording, and then we'll talk about the future. So. As far as shows, so Kathy, thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, Guest four, thank you. Uh, get West, thank you, and the others. And uh, yeah, this I consider her a friend and somebody that uh, has taught me a lot and been a vital part of my life. And I don't even I've never even met the guy. That's how strange our world is. Physically, I've never met the man, and yet how much he's influenced my life. And I think it's definitely the sign of the times. Michael, I can say, once again, God's in control, not I. So, God bless. Take care.